It's a Monday. Good to have you along for the ride again. Uh, in just a moment, uh, State Representative Michelle Gray will be uh, giving us a call. We'll talk to her. I want to talk also this first hour about uh, the analysis of school security kickoff uh, that uh, has been occurring, as well as a story I came across today uh, dealing with uh, the urban schools haven't had the big uh, problem with these, you know, shootings that the suburban schools have because they've hardened down uh, a long time ago as far as the schools go. Uh, Back in the 80s, uh, with a lot of the problems that were going on uh, in the uh, urban school systems like Detroit and Chicago and things, uh, they installed... Uh, metal detectors and, uh, you know, the wands and all of that early on and did a good job of, of, uh, kind of, uh, stopping the school violence that had begun and got it under control. And I mean, there's stories that you read about the kids that live at, like in, in Detroit, they're always nervous about going to school and coming home from school. But when they're in school, they feel safe because uh, they've already taken care of those safe, uh, safety measures. We'll get into that in a few moments. But first of all, uh, I want to have uh, State Representative Michelle Gray on with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's bring her up. She's joined us. And uh, Representative Gray, thanks for giving us the time here on a Monday. And I want to congratulate you in leading the charge on helping the pharmacists here in the state of Arkansas. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Well, we we had uh, Alan Kerr on and talked to him about this, and he explained mm-hmm. some of the things that uh, is in this uh, legislation that's going to lead to more uh, transparency, uh, that he's going to be told how much everybody's making off of these drugs. Now, the public yet won't know this, but at least he'll know who the, the good actors are and the bad actors are. Oh, definitely. And that's been one of the things we've been asking for for years from the the middlemen, those CBMs, is show us your data. You know, show us how much money you pay the pharmacies and how much money you're keeping and how much is being charged to the insurance company. And they've refused to do it. So it's a huge step forward to give this transparency. Well, I was reading that you made the statement when you were there in the well of the house and you said that at the beginning, this was a good thing, but suddenly it turned mm-hmm. into a bad thing and the people that were the middlemen started raking a lot of money into their, their coffers. I mean, what happened? What was it that they, they figured out that made things go wrong? You know, and I'm not sure exactly where it happened, but they started out just as processors, you know, when, uh, when they first started doing electronic claims and technology became a big part of healthcare and just over time, their scope has grown and grown and grown, and they've been totally unregulated to where they do – it's kind of like the fox guard in the hen house. Mm-hmm. They, they uh, will establish the formularies and say what medications are covered under insurance plans and which ones aren't, and then there are 
which has a, they get rebates. So if they've got brand name drugs, well, this cholesterol medication, that company will give me a bigger rebate. So I'm going to put that one in the tier and the one that won't give me a rebate. Well, I'm not going to put that one in the tier because I don't make enough money on the back end. So it has nothing to do with the actual health care or what's best for the, the patient. And then on the other end, they're paying the pharmacist and charging the insurance company. So they're doing both. They're saying what's allowed. And then they're also saying what, what is uh, the allowable amount to be paid on it. And they're keeping an undisclosed amount in the middle, um, which we actually, this, uh, the past few months, we've had access to that data. Um, and so we've gotten to see just, it's unethical. It's egregious. The amount of money they are able to keep at the expense of the Arkansans. Right. Honestly. Well, bottom line was with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield doing about 80% of the business in the state, and then mm-hmm. CVS is part of Blue Cross Blue Shield, and now CVS is looking to buy their own insurance company. Uh, you've got the makings of a very heavy handed monopoly at that point. Yes, yes, definitely. And that's once they, if they are able to uh, purchase the health insurance. Company, which right now I, I believe uh, all the insurance commissioners across the country would have to approve it, and I don't believe there are any willing to approve it right now. Um, but if that happens, what we it's what we call vertical integration, so complete vertical integration to where they own pharmacies, they own mail-in pharmacies, they have the PBM, they actually have interest and ownership in um, some of the warehouses, wow. and then they own the insurance company on top of it. It's complete like you said, complete monopoly and control. All right. So what are some other things that my listeners should know about this? We're talking with state representative Michelle Gray. And what else should mm-hmm. people hear about this? So we know about this, the the gag rule, so to speak, and how that is mm-hmm. being stripped away. But what about, what about other things that maybe we weren't even privy to that you all found out about and you said, we got to change this as well. Okay. Um, there, let's see what, um, and this is a little complicated, but one of the things we decided, we had a lot of pharmacies and this wasn't just the independence this time. It was independence, um, chain pharmacies, even hospital pharmacists got involved and said enough's enough. Um, but, uh, they wanted us to set like a payment floor, you know, because they were being paid below cost, what they could even get the medications for. Right. But legislatively, we didn't, there was not an appetite. We didn't want to, you know, kind of start price fixing. And so what we did uh, to help ensure that we had enough pharmacies to cover our residents was put in a network adequacy feature. And so essentially, in order to get a license or continue your yearly license, a PBM has to show that there's an adequate number of brick and mortar pharmacies in the state to cover their beneficiaries. Um, and they can't count mail-in in that calculation. So kind of a backdoor way uh, to price fixing in a way, because we're saying if you don't pay fairly and I have all these pharmacies closed, we no longer have a net, an at work, adequate network, and therefore we're going to suspend your license to do business. So it kind of forces them to play fairly to make sure that they have the coverage uh, for their patients. Yeah, I, people did not understand until we started – getting into it with the, uh, the insurance commissioner that there were these pharmacies that were, you know, they were getting 
I don't know, there's a word I want to use and I'm not going to use it because people will take <laughs> wrong on it. Uh, the pharmacies were getting screwed is what was happening. And yes. uh, some of them, it was causing some very big problems and they were getting letters from the people that were causing them the problem and saying, look, if you got problems, we'll buy you out. Oh, yeah. And I think that was just that that's what finally pushed this over the cliff. And when everyone realized, all right, we do have a problem. It's yeah, they were paying them way below the cost of the medication. And, um, you know, so if it's a cost of pharmacy, $50, the PBM was, you know, paying them $10 and they were taking like a $40 loss. Well, you can't do that very much in business and stay afloat. Right. Um, and so after they are trying to make them not be financially sound, you know, let's hurt them to where they, you know, they're, you know, about to go bankrupt. Well, let's just send them a letter saying, you know, have you ever thought about selling your business? We'd like to buy it. That is and so they, unethical. It's unbelievable. Uh, completely. Now, CVS's response to that was, well, that's, you know, that's a different department. We didn't know <laughs> things, wires were being crossed. Uh-huh. I don't think so. No. Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm with so. you on that. I don't. You can't make me believe the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing at that point. No, exactly. They also sent a lot of the pharmacists um, after they got vocal mid mid January and on. Some of them, uh, some in my district, started getting uh, faxes that were addendums to their contract, essentially telling them that they could be um, their contracts could be canceled at any time for any reason. Um, you know, kind of scare tactics, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, also saying that um, if they were contacted by any government officials uh, for data, that they had to provide the data to CVS Caremark first to see if it was okay to give out to the government officials. Well, well um, <laughs> you know, I was speechless when I, I started hearing about the letters. We, we were talking about this for two hours last Tuesday. Uh, between mm-hmm. me and, and the uh, power panel. And uh, one of the members here, Artie uh, Hopper, got the copy of one of those letters and we reread it on the air. It was unbelievable. I mean, literally, yeah. it was a real nice way of saying, hey, we want to put a bullet in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the past, the pharmacists, I don't want to say were scared, but they were. They were scared to say anything uh, that had to do with their contract or pricing because they were afraid or and very strong-handed tactics that their contracts would be canceled. Right. But once once Blue Cross went with CVS and such a huge um, amount of the pharmacy's business was being paid below cost, they finally were like, enough's enough. You want to cancel our contract? Go right ahead. We're losing money on it anyhow. And they all came out in full force. I've never seen anything like it, um, how they all banded together. And, I mean, it made a difference. Well, power, there's power in numbers. Let me ask one last question of you. And from what I, what I understand now, the pharmacists will be able, if they can get a drug cheaper than what, uh, this middleman can do for them, they can sell that to their customer. Is that right? That's exactly right. They can. That was in that gag clause prohibition we put in there. So, yep. If they've got a copay of $20 and that medication, actually, the pharmacist could sell it to them for eight. They now have the ability to say, we can process this. You can pay for this without us going through your insurance, and I can save you $12. Prior to this, they were not allowed to do that. 
So they they actually would collect the twenty dollars from the patient and turn around and send it to CVS. Wow. I mean, they actually owed CVS money on some of the transactions. So yes, it's you know, CVS has come out and said that this is going to raise you know raise the rates and it's going to um, you know cause access issues. I don't believe any of those scare tactics because I think in the end it should lower the cost of prescription medications. It should lower the copays. It should lower healthcare costs and give our patients, you know, access to what they need. Well, it sounds like to me, it's competition. Competition normally lowers prices. Yes, that's exactly right. So that should work. Well, you're to be commended as well as other members of uh, the house and the Senate for what you've done. Uh, Keep up the good work and we appreciate you giving us the time today. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye now. All right. Bye. State representative uh, is Michelle Gray. We appreciate her being with us here uh, on the Dave Ellswick show today. We'll get a break in then we'll come back and uh, we'll pick up a different subject. We can talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with pharmacies. That last thing that we talked about was really important. What it means is this. Let's say you go to a, let's say you go to Walmart pharmacy. All right. And Walmart pharmacy, because, you know, they buy in bulk. Uh, and uh, you're being told this is how much it's going to cost you for a prescription. But, hey, if you buy it from Walmart, instead of being your copay, which may be $20 or $30, uh, we can get it for you for uh, 8 or $9. And so you're going to save 12 13 15 bucks on a prescription. Well, that's going to, you know, in the long run, you save money. Walmart makes more money. The middleman doesn't make any money. I'm all, you know, I'm all for that type of, of, uh, you know, free market arrangement before, as you hear in the state representative say, they couldn't tell you that they could not deal with that. So that's that gag clause that they got rid of. And uh, we heard a little bit about it last week, last Thursday, when uh, Alan Kerr came on here, uh, the insurance commissioner here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, a break, and then we're back with more here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer. I did forget to ask uh, State Representative Michelle Gray a question. I'll call her later. I'll have an answer back for you later in the show. Uh, And that is... Because of all the government interference in our healthcare system uh, over the last few years, and and look, there was already interference. I mean, Medicaid is a perfect example of interference. Medicare is another perfect example of interference, and it's caused problems uh, on on both ends of the scale for the the people who are retirees and for people who uh, are uh, you know, the, the, the poorest of the poor. And they've changed that as they go gone along where it used to be just 100% the poverty level. They kept inching that up, you know, 110, 120, all the way up to about 138% or higher. If a state wanted to take even, uh, more of, uh, the payment on their shoulders, uh, for Medicaid. So that was already happening. And they went in and, and by putting this middleman in, they were trying to facilitate, uh, facilitate a way to try to get 
uh, get the prices of medicine down. And what happened is they put it into, into play. And as you heard the state representatives say, it was good at first. They were able to suppress uh, the money, but some people got greedy. That's what it sounds like to me, at least. It sounds like people got greedy, and they put that that legislation into place. They didn't put in anybody who was watching. It's like nobody was watching the fox in the hen house, so to speak. And uh, they started taking a, a advantage of things. And as Alan Kerr said last week, you know, you wish everybody would be ethical, but not everybody is ethical. It's that simple. And because of that, you've got to try uh, to uh, control people from uh, being terrible and, and trying just to make, make uh, more money uh, the best that, uh, that they can. All right, eight, uh, what, what time we got? 8230965. 8230965. If you want to get involved in that discussion, I want to move on. Uh, because they had the first analysis of school security kicking off. Uh, they got together to um, to speak about um, what should be done to make uh, school safer. And I, I think it's interesting that they're doing this. But guess where the, the safest, the safest uh, schools are at? Kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the show. And uh, this is a story from the AP with the WTOP in Washington, D.C., radio station there that does does news traffic, weather, and, and talk very, very well. Does it? Does it very, very, very well. And um, done by, you know, people that, um, not corporations that own radio station, but local entities, and uh, they want to give their listeners great information. And it's, I'll just read you the first few uh, paragraphs here, and, and then we'll pick it up after we do Todd Starnes. Alondra Alvarez lives about five minutes from her high school on Detroit's southwest side, but she drives there instead of walking because her mother fears for her safety. Once the 18-year-old enters their school building, her surroundings take on a more secure feel almost immediately as she passes through a bank of closely monitored metal detectors. Quote, my mom has never been comfortable with me walking to school. My mom is really scared of street thugs, she said. She attends a school by the name of Western International. And as schools around the U.S., and I think that this article should be shared with this group that are looking at Arkansas, not saying that this, the way they do this is going to be the be all and end all, but they should take it into consideration. So as schools around the U S look for ways to impose tougher security measures in the wake of last month's school shooting in Parkland, Florida, that left 17 people dead. They don't have to look further than urban districts like Detroit, Chicago, Los Angeles and New York that installed metal detectors and other uh, security in the 1980s and 1990s to combat gang and drug violence. Now we're going to come back and talk about this. 
there's something to learn here. I'm just telling you, and you won't have to spend, you know, buku's amounts of money to reinvent the wheel. So Dave Ellswick show, we got more coming your way in just a moment. Todd Starnes right now. Our phone number here at the Dave Ellswick show, 823-0965-501-823-0965 here at 96.5 FM. The answer now, remember, I've got the date now on April 1, we are going to change frequencies. We're going to move from 96.5 FM, the answer to 101.1 FM, and the answer will be there. And we're doing that because it is a much stronger signal that goes further. I know there's a lot of you that listen to this show uh, in Conway. The basic way you listen to it is on the Internet or on your app. Soon you won't have to do that. You'll be able to listen to it over the air like you do any other radio station, you know, all the time. And you can see we got the the new uh, logo up there in the corner of the screen so you can see it. That's where we'll be starting on April 1st. We'll take over 101.1 FM on that day. We have bought that station. We own that station. And that's where you're going to find us uh, all the way from that time forward. And it's going to be the uh, the answer. The boss came in and told me there's more good things coming, Dave. No, he didn't tell me what it was, but he just told me there's more good things coming. Whatever that might be, uh, I'll let you know when I hear about them as well. I just heard about this a couple of weeks ago and that uh, the the station, we were looking to buy it and they agreed to our terms at Salem and now we own them uh, beginning on the 1st of April. So again, you tune in here on April 1st at 96.5, you won't find it. You're not going to find us. We'll be gone. But if you flip over to 101.1, and if you're anywhere here in Little Rock or uh, Mayflower or going out to, to Conway, out to uh, trying to think of uh, some of the other places, we go. We, we fall short, Moralton, we fall short of Russellville. All right? But uh, we go quite a ways that way. And you'll be able to hear us in, in those areas. Greenbrier, you should be able to pick us up uh, pretty clean as well. So we've got, uh, we've boosted the signal. We're going to be clear. We're going to uh, reach out further. And that starts on April 1. And no, I know a lot of you have listened to my show for years. And I'm notorious when, uh, when April Fool's Day is during the week, Monday through Friday. I've had some really good April Fool's jokes on the on the Dave Ellswick show this is not an April Fool's Day joke no we're not going to talk about painting the White House black so terrorists can't find it at night or anything like that uh we're not going to do anything uh in in those veins this is the real deal it is really going to happen and everybody should be excited about it let me go back now to the story we were dealing with the AP talking about urban schools like Detroit Chicago Los Angeles New York that during the 80s and 90s, because they were combating gang and drug violence at that time. Remember back in the 80s where uh, kids couldn't take a pager to school anymore because so many of them were doing drug deals using it? Uh, I don't know if you remember that or not, but uh, you couldn't you couldn't take your uh, pager uh, to school. Or uh, in some schools, they let you have your pager, but it better never, ever go off 
uh, during school, and they better never ever see you checking it out, uh, as far as as that's uh, as that's concerned. So, security experts now believe that the measures used by these urban schools uh, have made urban districts less prone to mass shootings, which for the most part have occurred in suburban and rural districts now. You know, fat, dumb, and happy. It's kind of the way it's been doing. Plus, not following their own protocols. I mean, you had, we found out now that Cruz, the latest thing that we have found, that shooting never should have occurred. Never. Or if it did, someone should have stopped it. We now know that that resource officer that was at the school was a coward. Didn't go in and do what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to go in and take on any kind of shooter. And I, I love the people that say, well, you can't blame him, man. Would you go in and take on an AR-15 with just a handgun? That's what he agreed to do when he took the gig. That's what it's all about. You're the guy who uh, that runs into the uh, building that's on fire instead of running out of the building that's on fire. And if you don't want to do it, don't sign up for it. So anyway, uh, the the latest that came out about uh, this kid is that a resource officer, I think it was a school uh, uh, counselor and somebody else had all made a, re- a report saying that this, this kid should have been uh, involuntarily uh, taken to a mental facility. He had real problems. You know, if you're with the uh, Secret Service or whatever, if they know there's somebody in the area that has made, you know, some kinds of challenges towards the president or vice president or whatever, they can go out and get that person and, and take them out of the, the group of people for 72 hours to check their mental status. And I don't have any problem if they've got a kid that's been causing a lot of problems that they think uh, could go off at any time to have a 72 hour rule like that, to take them in and have them tested, make sure they're not a ticking time bomb, so to speak. Anyway, uh, officials in some suburban and rural school districts are now considering metal detectors as they rethink their security plans after that shooting in Parkland, Florida, where a 19 year old former student, Nicholas Cruz, uh, allegedly, and we've got to say allegedly because he hasn't been found guilty yet, allegedly brought in a duffel bag that contained an assault rifle and opened fire. He's charged with 17 counts uh, of first-degree murder uh, and 17 counts of attempted murder. The mass, uh, massacre galvanized thousands of students around the country, and, uh, and they walked out of school. You know, I don't have any problem that they did that. They did that. My problem was is that if you want to let the kids learn something about being a citizen and about, uh, you know, nonviolent, uh, going out and doing something in a nonviolent, uh, vein like Gandhi would do, then they should know that there are repercussions to that. When you do things like that, maybe the school has said you can't do it. Did you hear about those three students up in Greenbrier? You hear about I, that? I didn't. Okay. Uh, they went, 
just, I guess they were the three students who went out during this. The school had said, if you do it, there will be punishment. You're supposed to be in class because let's face it, going out for 17 minutes isn't doing nothing for the students at all. So anyway, the kids, uh, these three decided to go out when they came back in, met by, uh, I guess, members of the administration taken to the office or whatever, and they were given a choice. You could do some in-school suspension, I think, for a couple of days, or you could take uh, some SWATs and take them. You know, you remember? Do you, do you remember what SWATs were, Zach? Did you ever have a SWAT? No. Okay. You didn't know I ever hit you with a big paddle? Okay, so in, in Arkansas, uh, you know, that kind of punishment is legal. And in Greenbrier, it's legal. Well, the kids decided, and it, and it said in the story, along with their parents, uh, took the uh, the three SWATs. Now, there are people complaining, saying, oh, that's ridiculous, shouldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. If you knew what was going to happen, then it's on you. That's the whole thing about protesting something. If you're going to, uh, let's say you, you left the school and during the time that you left the school, uh, there was a test going on and you couldn't finish the test. Should you be able to come in from outside because you went outside, uh, during the, uh, the demonstration and you missed the test, should you be allowed to take, take the test, uh, or, since you missed the check, the test, and there's no reason that you should have missed the test, except that you went outside, uh, be charged with a zero. I would say you should get a zero. Uh, that's learning what, uh, that you can do and stand for principle. But even though you stand for principle, doesn't mean that there won't be some repercussion for what you've done. And it's something for kids to learn. I, I've heard about kids that were in other schools. Uh, one in Ohio, if I'm not mistaken, that I know of for a fact, I know the exact facts about that, that he didn't go out to protest and was given a week suspension because he didn't join his fellow students protesting. That is inherently wrong. But, uh, anyway, said the, uh, that Philip Smith, president of the National African-American Gun Association, quote, I think urban schools are eons ahead. They've been dealing with violence a lot longer than suburban schools. During the mid-80s, Detroit was one of the first districts in the nation to put permanent walk-through metal detectors in high schools and middle schools. New York also had them in some of the buildings. By 92, metal detectors had been installed in a few dozen Chicago high schools. And in 93, under pressure to make schools safer, Los Angeles District announced that it would randomly search students with metal detectors. Such measures, quote, are designed to identify and hopefully deter anybody from bringing a weapon to school but metal detectors alone portray an illusion of being safe that according to Nikolai Vidi, superintendent of 50,000 student district of the Detroit public schools, community district quote, our schools need to be safer than they are. 
As a nation, we need to fully fund, make sure all districts can adequately staff resource officers and also offer mental health, first aid training to all educators. Security measures don't always keep guns off school grounds. There have been some uh, single shootings, but never any big mass shootings. Uh, In response to the Parkland shooting, Florida's governor now has said he wants to spend $500 million to increase law enforcement and mental health counselors at schools to make buildings more secure with metal detectors and to create an anonymous tip line. Now, I will ask this. Instead of hiring your own mental uh, counselors, why wouldn't you outsource that to a company so that you don't have to buy health insurance for the counselors and all the rest, save some money doing that. Maybe you can put it somewhere else. Uh, and, uh, and let that, I, I don't have any problem that they want to have somebody there that is going to help on the mental side. I do have a problem that they want to grow the government in their school systems when that is not necessary. Well, we got more that we can talk about about this. Uh, We'll take your calls as well. 823-0965. 823-0965. If you're wondering when Dave is going to talk about, you know, teachers having guns, that's coming up. I'm going to get to it. But it's not, I don't believe that it's the most important thing that we got to get to. Stick around. We got more coming your way. We got to get a break in here at 96.5 FM. The answer, remember, April 1st, we're moving. We're moving on up. I need some music. Moving on up to the east. Not really, but we're moving on up as far as our uh, frequency goes. We're going from 96.5 FM to 101.1 FM. The answer. Kenneth Trump, president of the Cleveland-based National School Safety and Security Services, which is a K-12 security consulting firm, made this statement. I think in urban schools, the approach of most of the educators, administrators, and security personnel is, quote, we realize there are issues that kids bring to school. The people will tell you we are not in denial. We acknowledge our problems. We just don't have enough resources at times to deal with it. Suburban and rural administrators, parents and students often view themselves as different from their big city counterparts and that may impact how they treat school security, said. There's also the very often divide of there's us and there's them. We're not the urban district. We all are the alternative. We're the place people go to get away from the urban district. Problem is the urban district, that crime that uh, has bubbled over and allowed several mass shootings to occur at uh, suburban public schools is some of the same kinds of violence that the urban schools had to deal with back in the 80s and the 90s. And uh, I would think that it's not about them and us. It's all about us, you know, all the students, what they have to do. Uh, this young lady from the beginning of the uh, the show uh, who said that she feels safer where she's at 
than when she's going to school. She said, I've always seen the metal detectors as something that made me feel safe. Adding that all schools should have them and not just inner city ones, quote, so students don't feel discriminated against. Mark Fancher, staff attorney for the American Civil Liberties Union and Michigan's Racial Justice Project, said metal detectors are seen as a symptom of a stigma that already exists. There is a presumption that urban schools, particularly those with students of color, are violent places and security demands you have uh, and procedures that you have in place that are intended to protect the safety of the students. So I think that the reason that urban schools were considered the problem, having a problem, was that they did have a problem. Uh, When I was in high school, this is going back to the 70s, uh, we didn't have the problems at my school that they had over in the more uh, industrialized area of where we uh, lived up in Northwest Indiana. And um, the kids that went to uh, like East Chicago and the Hammond and things of that nature uh, had more problems in their school. I remember playing basketball at uh, East Chicago, Washington high school, and they had uh, wire you know, the uh, chain link all the way around the court so that no kids could throw stuff or fans, anybody could throw things on the court and try to hit uh, an opposing player. They had to do that because they had had that problem in the past. So if you've got that problem and that's the way you got to settle it and, and, and get it taken care of, I think that's just uh, being pragmatic about the whole situation. If they were having that problem in every other school district, maybe they all would have put up chain link fence around the courts. I don't know. Or maybe they would put more at what we use today as far as resource officers in the, in the, with the student sections and things of that nature. But uh, in East Chicago, at least there was some real problems with things of that nature. Um, they didn't typically like us who came from the suburbs to play them. When we'd be leaving in our buses, they throw rocks at the buses and break out windows and things of that nature. Um, but that was a symptom that continued to manifest itself over the years till you got into the eighties and you got into the early nineties when drugs really got involved and drugs got involved in the Gary and East Chicago and widening areas of where I lived at. And, you know, they put in the, uh, metal detectors. What happened? They too many shootings at school, kids killing each other, protecting their turf, things of that nature. And now we find in the suburban areas and rural areas, we're beginning to find ourselves in the exact same predicament. So when we come back, I'll tell you on this meeting they had last Tuesday, some of the things they talked about, but I think they should read this article and see how the urban schools have uh, dealt with a lot of this stuff. 
All right, we got a couple of minutes before Fox News. Let's get to Fox News next. When we come back, we'll talk more about this analysis of school security uh, with this meeting it, it's uh, kicking off. And uh, I read an interesting er, uh, inter- interview in it. Members of the uh, Moms Demand Action for uh, Gun Sense uh, showing up in some of the, the teachers that belong to it, some of the ignorant things they had to say. Like every teacher has to have a gun. That's never, ever been said. Never that I know of. We'll come back. We'll talk about it. Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer, April 1st. It's going to be 101.1 FM, The Answer. Remember that. And now Fox News coming up in a moment. All right, let's talk about what are they talking about here in the state of Arkansas. We talked about uh, the urban problems of the 80s and 90s with violence and how they dealt with it in some of the major school districts of chicago detroit los angeles new york about having uh you know metal detectors and metal uh, detector wands and uh being able to check a student uh you know by you come to school here you leave yourself open to be randomly checked and things of that nature and uh they haven't had any uh you know mass shootings in any of the urban uh, schools and that perhaps suburban and rural schools need to be looking at what the urban schools have done because it's worked. So they had their meeting uh, here at the, uh, the analysis of school security state panel is holding its first meeting. It was on Tuesday. The work of the new 18 member Arkansas school safety commission appointed by governor Asa Hutchinson after the Parkland school massacre uh, is underway in its efforts to assess and make recommendations on schoolhouse safety measures. The commission, which is to submit its preliminary report by uh, July 1st and a final report by November 1st is building on state laws and the work of the legislatively established two decades old safe schools committee. It's uh, also building on the safety features already in place and being further enhanced by school districts. Cheryl May, director of the University of Arkansas Systems Criminal Justice Institute and the commission chairman said, we are going to look at what is currently going on in the state, identify those gaps that exist, and then make recommendations on how to possibly fill those gaps or do other things that we think will ultimately make our schools safer. So uh, the meeting uh, for the commission took place on the day before hundreds of thousands of students from Hawaii to Maine walked out of their schools, including some of the schools here in Arkansas. So a lot of the school districts aren't necessarily waiting on the state commission. So let's look at some of the things that these schools school districts are doing the Jacksonville North Pulaski school district, for example, is reconsidering the window plans and campus access features of the elementary and high school buildings that are under construction. I would say that the whole thing about looking at the windows might be not necessary because there's not been a mass shooting where a kid is standing outside 
and shooting kids through the windows. Uh, that's not been happening. Now, you may want to take a look at uh, campus access. I think that's something that you have to look at. Um, this kid that brought the uh, AK-15, uh, AR-15, not AK, pardon me, AR-15 into the Parkland School understood how the protocol at the school was when kids came into school, when kids left. And he made his way into the school just before the school got let out for the day, from what I'm understanding. Here's what happened. The school had in the front a place where you funneled the students down, and they only had one place to come into. Uh, And at the end of the school day, they had to go out that way as well, except for when the halls were really filled, then they opened most of the doors for the kids to lose, uh, to leave the school or to enter the school. Knowing that the, uh, the shooter came in through a side that, you know, nobody would have even paid any attention to him and walked in with, uh, a bag that carried, uh, you know, uh, uh, some magazines and brought, came in and, and brought his uh, AR-15 in with him. Rode over to school in an Uber, in fact. And then he went in when the doors, most of the majority of the doors were open uh, for the kids uh, to go out of the school. So, uh, you need to take a look at that. I understand kids would have to wait, but do you want to open... Uh, you know, all these different places, or perhaps you have to have armed guards at the areas where the school is going to be open, where they're going to let kids out of or in so that you'll be aware of where the kids are, are coming in and going out. So you can make sure that a bad apple doesn't get in. At the same time as the commission's meeting last week, Little Rock School District uh, Superintendent Mike Poor announced preliminary plans to arm some of the district's campus security officers. Now, we've talked about that and some of the problems with that. Let's say you have two of these officers. We all know that every 10 seconds when the shooting starts, Someone's getting shot. If you've got some of these big schools, like, you know, you got Central, which is how many stories high is Central? Like three stories? All right. So how long would it take from the time that the shooting is reported to the time that the uh, officer could get, let's say he's at one end of school on the first floor, got to get to the other end of the school on the third floor. During that time, The shooter is shooting. That's something you got to take into consideration. So it sounds good, but time is of the essence. The North Little Rock School Board voted Thursday night to increase its staff of five school resource officers and 30 campus security guards with 16 additional part-time security guards 
and to purchase additional walkthrough and handheld metal detectors. Okay. So they've learned something evidently from urban schools there at the end. My question is they got, they talk about 30 campus security guards and 16 additional part-time security guards. Are they armed? Are they armed or not? Or do they just get to carry a a taser or maybe some pepper spray or maybe they don't get to carry anything. The Magnolia School Board last week approved the purchase of more than 200 cameras for placement at secondary school campuses. The cameras are for indoor-outdoor use and include infrared uh, capabilities and facial recognition, uh, recognition software according to the Magnolia Banner News. The Magnolia District's plan has prompted objections already from the American Civil Liberties Union in Arkansas. Rita Scalar, ACLU of Arkansas's executive director, said in a statement on Friday, "Um, all of us want schools to be safe, but subjecting students to an unproven, costly, and intrusive Biometric surveillance system is not uh, the answer. Now, I I kind of feel the same way R- Rita does. I think uh, allowing, if a teacher wants to be armed and wants to go through the training and whatever, uh, that's the way to do this. Of course, I would make sure there's at least two teachers that are going to be armed in each hallway of the school and then you would have two backups that uh, would carry on the days that either one of those teachers wouldn't be there. The school safety commission members have divided themselves into subcommittees, each with a particular focus, such as on the law and policies, applications to school safety, and on communications of emergencies. Another is focusing on collecting intelligence on potential threats to school safety. That's kind of an interesting one. I'd like to hear how they intend to to go out and collect intelligence. Uh, one subcommittee will focus on safety and security, audits, emergency operation plans, drills, and responses. Another group is studying building features that heighten security including single points of entry, while still another subcommittee looks at mental health issues. Another is looking at a wide range of measures to prevent problems such as bullying, anger, drug use, gang affiliations, or adverse childhood experiences that can end up translating into school violence. And then finally, there is a subcommittee that will focus on safety personnel. Uh, including school resource officers who are armed police officers, commissioned school security officers who may be school district employees who are not law enforcement officers but will be able to carry weapons on campus, and auxiliary officers and deputies. Informing the commission, Hutchinson pledged $300,000 from state discretionary funding toward training, armed school resource officers, and developing safety plans. There are 316 school resource officers who patrol about one third of the schools in the state. 
according to the governor. Probably the majority of the calls from the public have focused around this, law enforcement and security, and the various strategies to use around the state, said the commission chairman uh, May. Now, uh, President Trump indicated his plans to defend against school shootings will include, among other measures, helping states pay for the training of qualified school personnel to use firearms. At their initial meeting, the Arkansas School Safety Commission members did not delve into the pros and cons of arming school personnel. Okay, I want you to listen to this again. I want to read it because the left has muddied the waters about this. All right, President Donald Trump has indicated his plans to defend against school shootings will include, among other measures, not the only measure, one of many, helping states pay for the training of qualified school personnel to use firearms. Now, anywhere there did you hear all students, all teachers? No. Qualified school personnel. In fact, it would be school personnel that want to carry. They would never be made to carry. Commission member uh, and and Clarksville School District Superintendent David Hopkins, whose district has armed some of its staff members with pistols, offered to make his staff available to present to the group on the initiative. As many as 13 of Arkansas's 238 traditional school districts have similarly armed staff, which is allowed by Act 393 of 2015. If the staff members have 60 hours of initial training, ongoing education and certification renewals every other year. So you got, you you hear that, right? Now let me read this next part. Members of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense attended a portion of the School Safety Commission in hopes of addressing the commission members. Laura Hardy, a former high school teacher and member of the organization said at a break in the meeting that she would not have continued to work if she were required to carry a gun. Where in all of the stuff that we've just talked about, does it say anywhere that a teacher will be required to carry a gun? Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. If you're a teacher feels they would like to be part of this program, you can go and see if you can be part of the program, but they are not going to make teachers come to school and everybody better have a handgun with them. That's not the way this works. And that the paper would even say this just is kind of stupid. Uh, unless you follow it up with a question, do you understand they're not asking every teacher to be armed? Uh, You go on into this uh, and you have uh, her say a lot of friends who teach feel the same way. And I know young parents who will pull their children out of schools. It's not a good thing on multiple levels. She said, adding that many of her teenage students were bigger than her and that she would have to think about them taking a gun away from her. I can, you know, tear every one of those arguments up, starting with the first two of you wouldn't have to carry a gun unless you wanted to carry a gun followed by nobody's going to take the gun away from it. It's not like you're going to walk around with the gun on your hip 
can be locked away. Donna Drury, another retired teacher, agreed with Hardy in opposition to arming teachers. She did applaud the commission's interest in delving into mental health, anti-bullying, and suicide prevention. All right, so the whole thing about all teachers are going to have to carry a gun is a, a, it's a non-starter because that's not part of the program. It's with those teachers who would be willing to be part of the program. Every teacher is not going to be part of this program, nor forced to become part of the program. And the ones that even go and say, I'd like to be part of the program may not be allowed to be part of the program. So, you know, let's get to the point where at least we're talking apples and apples, oranges and oranges. It's uh, 22 after three Dave Ellswick show quick break. Then more. Don't forget that, uh, you know, 96.5 FM is going away as of uh, April 1st. But that doesn't mean I or the other talk show host here at 96.5 FM will be going away. We'll still be here. We'll move into a bigger, brighter sounding signal at 101.1. And it's called 101.1, The Answer. All right, uh, 326 on a Monday afternoon talking about this uh, school security uh, group uh, you know commission been put together by the governor talking about what do you do to try to make your school safer things of that nature I got a uh, text uh, from Ed Monk from Last Resorts Firearm who you hear on my show uh, from time to time when there's these mass shootings and what could have been done differently things of that nature and he reminds us that the Red Lake, Minnesota shooter shot and killed one unarmed security guard at the metal detectors. Second unarmed guard ran away. And then the uh, shooter walked right past the metal detector to continue killing inside uh, the school, which goes to show you, you know, you got to have a gun. Somebody's got to be ready to fire back if, you get somebody that walks in with uh, another uh, firearm. The only thing that will stop someone who is uh, carrying a firearm and using it is somebody else that has another firearm and is willing to shoot back. And then this is the other part of this that's uh, concerning is that one deputy or security guard that was there with the guy who got shot ran away didn't do anything to stop anything or even try to stop. In fact, seems kind of silly that you got uh, security guards and they're on, they're unarmed. Kind of breaks down the whole thing of being a security guard. If you ask me, so what is the commission going to do here over the next uh, few uh, weeks and months? Uh, well, they uh, will hold at least one meeting devoted to public comment, but they're going to ask potential speakers to give notice of their comments several days in advance. Uh, they're also expressing interest in conducting a school climate uh, survey, listening to students about their concerns and ideas, and meeting with people who were associated as well with the West Side school district near Jonesboro 
1998 when two students fatally shot four students and a teacher and injured 10 others. School visits are also being planned by the commission members who intend to first draw up a checklist of what they want to learn from each of those campuses. Besides May, Hopkins, and Poston, commission members include Vice Chairman Bill Temple, who's a retired FBI special agent, John Don Kaminar, special projects and school safety manager for the Arkansas Department of Education, Brad Montgomery, uh, director of the State Department of Education's Division of Public School Academic Facilities, and uh, several other people as well. All right, so that's about what we've got going on for the analysis of your uh, local public schools. And uh, I would suggest when you hear that the public uh, comment section's coming up that you tell them what you want to talk about and show up and give them a piece of your mind. All right, 25 minutes to four. Don't forget four o'clock hour. It should be a very interesting discussion today with uh, Brenda uh, Vassar and uh, Joe of uh, Conduit for Action after uh, last week's speech to the Political Animals uh, Club here in Little Rock where uh, the governor brought up Conduit for Action and uh, made some pretty harsh uh, statements. Uh, during uh, that uh, that speech, uh, I had the governor on Thursday, and he didn't get a chance to really get into to that until we got uh, towards the end of the show, and he was very uh, transparent, saying that, yeah, I made the remarks about uh, uh, Conduit for Action and that uh, they're not a news organization. They're uh, an organization that has only one agenda, and basically that's me. So, uh, there seems to be a, uh, little bit of a fire now burning between those two groups and we'll talk with conduit for action. And then coming up in the final hour today, Robert Steinbach will be with us. And I sent him several stories to take a look at, to talk about today, uh, Indiana student, uh, that, uh, has been told that they're not going to let him take a, a class. Uh, because he a- he absolutely challenged a, a professor uh, about there are only two genders, and this other pro- this professor was saying there's more, and he questioned uh, uh, the professor and uh, said that uh, scientists say that there's only two genders and whatnot, and uh, got to to the bottom of the uh, the case and. Uh, she, she told him she he couldn't be in her class anymore. Sounds like to me she just didn't like being challenged on her argument. Kicker is this is a course the student has to take or he can't graduate from the university. Uh, a, a sidebar to that, uh, the uh, gentleman from Oklahoma, Oklahoma Wesleyan, who's been on the show uh, talking to us about uh, the snowflakes uh, that are on campuses now has uh, offered to allow this student uh, to take that class at his university so that he can graduate and uh, get his, uh, his degree. So, uh, and f- do it for free. 
no charge to him whatsoever. A story that we uh, dealt with uh, a few weeks back, Wayne State uh, has reversed its school's decision to boot Christian groups off campus uh, because they said that if you want to be able to be the president, vice president, whatever of this group, you must be a believer. Uh, So Wayne State has reversed course on that when the group decided they were going to sue uh, Wayne State, and when they talked to the legal counsel, I guess they were taught you're going to told they're going to lose the case. And then one last thing we'd like to talk about in the last hour is that kids love the whole concept of free speech, unless it's speech that offends them, and then they're not so happy uh, with free speech at uh, at that time. So. Just out, just really quickly, I wanted to touch on a national story. I typically leave a lot of the national stuff to, you know, Prager and Gallagher and Sean Hannity and and whatnot, and zero in a lot on what's going on here and or or stories that may be national in uh, origin, however, not. Uh, being followed by the news media as much as they should be. And the one that I think that is not talked about enough is the people that for whatever reason are having, you know, apoplexy over Andrew McCabe who lost his job two days ago. He was the number two man in the FBI and he got fired. He had leaked information. His wife was running, uh, for, uh, Senate, uh, the way that she got a, a campaign donation from McAuliffe is questionable at best. And so he got fired. Sessions fired him, uh, two days, uh, before his retirement and, uh, keeping him from receiving a full pen, uh, pension. When you look at the things this guy did, seems to me he deserved to lose his pension. Maybe if more of these, uh, lifetime bureaucrats that are in these agencies, uh, are out there doing, uh, very questionable antics, uh, they might, uh, and if they end up losing their pensions, uh, perhaps they think twice before they do, uh, something stupid. And that's what McCabe did. He, he was acting like, uh, you know, a stupid person. And, uh, I mean, I've heard uh, many of, of a talk show guests, uh, say that they're surprised, uh, that sessions allowed him to stay in his job as long as he did. He should have been fired a long time ago. So, uh, you got that out there as well. And it, it's, it's as if, I don't know about you, but this is, this just crawls up my gall and gets it gets in the crawl of my, of my stomach and, uh, irritates me. And that is these people that are high up on the food chain in government that are breaking the law and doing unethical things, want everybody to boo hoo hoo for them. When for instance, uh, Mueller is going to lose his pension and whatever. When I think, you know, losing your pension is a whole lot better than what I think you should get, which is jail time. 
and not in some ritzy prison either. I mean, put you in with the general population of, uh, you know, some of, you know, put him in Tucker in the general population. Don't let him go to some, you know, country club prison where, you know, maybe he works an hour a day and the rest of the time he doesn't have to do much of anything and gets visits and, you know, conjugal visits and all kinds of stuff. You know, that's why these people do the stuff that they do. They know they're not going to get in any serious trouble. You know, go do, uh, you know, two or three years standing on your head with uh, getting, you know, your, your, uh, um, you're going to get out early because you're going to take probably you're going to get a, a day or two off of your sentence for every day of good behavior you have in the, in the prison. So instead of, you know, serving a year, you serve three and a half months and then they go to some, you know, club med place. You know, why would they be afraid? Why would they be concerned? They're not going to be. And that's why they keep doing this kind of stuff because there's no teeth to really bite them in the ass. If they did that, uh, some of this stuff would, uh, would change. So no tears for me from Mueller. I see that there's some Democrats out there that are saying, well, I'm going to offer him a job so that he can get uh, the time that he should have, uh, as a, uh, a federal employee so he can get his pension. Just silly stuff like that. If you have, uh, had your head in a, in a hole, you don't know about this, uh, CNN, uh, you have to make up your mind if you think it's true or not. Okay. That's not for me to tell you. I'm just going to report the story. You take a look at it and see if it, if you think it's true or not, because CNN is known for fabricating a lot of stuff. Uh, CNN is keeping its audience informed on the horrific string of bombings that are terrorizing Austin, Texas. But then, uh, you know, they're doing things that's kind of interesting because they're not without forcefully injecting race into the story. A CNN alerted social media users that, quote, the two victims of Sunday's explosion in Austin, Texas are white white so what difference does that make it's two citizens of austin texas and of this country that were hurt severely anyway they're white he said that to tweet today this already seems like a superfluous piece of information until you read the next sentence of their tweet the previous victims were black or Hispanic, raising fears the attacks could be race-related. Let me read that to you again. The two victims of Sunday's explosion in Austin, Texas, are white. The previous victims were black or Hispanic, raising fears the attacks could be race-related. Before the race of Sunday's victims were reported there was no evidence that the attacks had been racially motivated aside from the victims had all been minorities austin police have police have suggested the attacks are hate crime boy cnn's hoping they are gives us another avenue to talk about them let's keep it going 
Keep those numbers up there. Let's talk about it. All right. Uh, about uh, 14 minutes until 4. We've got to get a break in. When we come back, uh, Rand Paul went after uh, Obama's CIA chief uh, going against Trump, and Rand Paul came to Trump's defense. All right. We've got uh, about nine minutes before we get to 4 o'clock. Don't forget, in the 4 o'clock hour, uh, Brenda and Joe from uh, Conduit for Action, they do this every Monday. And uh, things are heating up between uh, Conduit for Action and the governor, Governor Asa Hutchinson. Uh, we'll talk about it, find out what uh, Brenda and uh, Joe have to say about what the governor said last Monday before the Political Animals Club said uh, last Thursday uh, during my interview with him at uh, 2 o'clock. Although he didn't, he didn't have time to say a whole lot because I ran out of time to get to that topic. I had some other things that I wanted to talk about dealing with the prescription uh, drug uh, uh, bill and, and whatnot. But we did get around to uh, what he had to say about conduit for action. Made some, he made some you know, statements about that. In fact, do we still have uh, the audio of that, uh, uh, Zach? You want to go? You want to grab that and look at the very end, like the last three minutes. You probably can. We can probably clip that and use it next hour, and and uh, you can people can hear what he had to say, and then we can find out what Joe and Brenda have to say about it. Hey, uh, Rand Paul went after uh, the CIA chief, uh, former CIA chief John uh, O'Brien, uh, Brennan, uh, not my idea of the best CIA chief that we've ever had. And uh, he went after uh, the president, uh, saying that he'd be remembered as a, quote, disgraced demagogue in the dustpin bin of history. Uh, Rand Paul brought up, hey, look, I fought against you ever being the CIA director uh, because of what you wanted to do. Uh, You were the person who wanted the power to search every American's records without a warrant. Uh, That's disgraceful, attacking the Bill of Rights and the freedom of every American, uh, in 2013, when Brennan was nominated by Obama to lead the CIA, Paul staged a 13 hour filibuster to protest, uh, that nomination. And, uh, he had some statements to made, uh, about that. Uh, let me just read the one, the first parts of uh, one of the paragraphs. I rise today to begin to filibuster John Brennan's nomination for the CIA. I will speak until I can no longer speak. I will speak as long as it takes until the alarm is sounded from coast to coast. That our Constitution is important. That your rights to trial by jury are precious. That no American should be killed by a drone on American soil without first being charged with a crime without first being found to be guilty by a court. Now, who's the demagogue here? Is it, uh, you know, is it Brennan or is it uh, the president? You know, because uh, Brennan, when he was nominated, had some things to say. He said, Brennan, whose nomination I'm opposing today, was asked directly, quote, Is there any limit to your killing? Is there any geographic limitation to your drone strike program? And Brennan responded and said, no, there is no limitations. 
So the obvious follow-up question would be, if there's no limitation to whom you can kill and where you can kill, and then there's no due process upon whom you will kill, does that not mean you will do it in America? So the senator from Oregon asked him that question directly in committee. And this so-called champion of transparency, this so-called advocate of some kind of process, responded to the senator from Oregon by saying, quote, I plan to optimize secrecy and optimize transparency. Or, as Senator Paul said, he answered with gobbledygook. So when asked, he says, no answer. He says, I will evade your answer. And by letting him come forward, we let him get away with it. So, you know, I've hounded and hounded and hounded. And finally, yesterday, and this is before he went before uh, the committee, I get a response from Mr. Brennan, who wishes to be the CIA chief. And he finally says, I will obey the law. Well, hooray. Good for him. It got, it took him a month to get him to admit that he will obey the law, but it's not so simple. You see the drone strike program is under the department of defense. So when the CIA says they're not going to kill you in America, they're not saying that the defense department won't do it. I mean, that was a, that was back in 13. That was huge at the time. I don't know if you remember it or not, but no due process. They could send a hellfire missile up your uh, yin-yang and take you out even if you're on the soil of the United States of America and an American citizen. You could be assassinated, killed, whatever way you want to put it, and uh, nothing happened to you know CIA or the Department of Defense or whatever. So you tell me who's the demagogue. It not Rand Paul, but a man who can kill an American citizen without any due process to me is the person who's the real problem uh, in our country. And for you know O'Brennan to say, "Oh, you you said ugly things and you fired Mueller." Yeah, well, you could have fired a missile up somebody's butt and killed them, and nothing would have happened to you. Absolutely nothing would have happened to you. All right. We're just about out of time here in this hour. Coming up after the uh, break for news at the top of the hour, we're going to come back and Brenda and Joe will stop uh, by via phone from Northwest Arkansas. We're going to talk with them. Conduitforaction.org is their website. You might want to go there, read some of the articles they have, and uh, see what they're saying. Uh, of course they're behind the Paul Harrell show, which you hear every morning on, uh, 96.5 FM, the answer from 6 AM to, uh, 8 AM. And we'll have a discussion about, uh, what the governor has been saying, uh, about them. And, uh, we, I think we're going to play, we're going to be able to play that. You got it already. All right. We can play, uh, what, uh, the governor had to say about conduit for action in the interview with us on uh, last Thursday. That's all coming your way. Don't forget, April 1st, last day, we'll be on 96.5 FM. It's on that day that we go to 101.1 FM 
will be known still as the answer, but you'll be able to hear us farther away than you can now and much clearer. Let's take a break. Fox News is next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you, 4 o'clock hour. Some of you heading home. You got through your Monday. Good for you. The rest of us going to have to wait just a little bit. Won't take much longer, and uh, we'll be able to head home here at the end of next hour probably. Uh, I've got uh, in the next hour, Robert Steinbach going to join us and got a lot of freedom of speech issues that he and I will talk about. But this hour, I'm going to have uh, Brenda and Joe from Conduit for Action on with us, conduitforaction.org, conduitforcommerce.org. And Thursday of last week, uh, Governor Hutchinson was on my show and we had an interview with him. And uh, towards the end of the show, we got talking about a speech that the uh, governor had given to the political animals uh, group here in uh, in Little Rock and uh, what he had said during uh, that that speech and, and, and what he meant by that speech. And he answered the question, and here's what he had to say. What I mean by uh, that uh, you've got one person that's funding, and it's his right to fund it, but it is, uh, uh, you know, uh, written uh, papers through their conduit for action. They've got conduit news that uh, is on multiple stations across the state. So that's what I mean by that. And it's not a fair and balanced reporting. Uh, it is a advocacy group for that position of that one person that uh, is uh, sounding the message. And I think any fair interpretation of that is pretty much an attack machine on what uh, I'm trying to accomplish in this state. That's their right to do that, but it's also uh, a right at some point to say, uh, I'm going to push back some. And so I think people should understand that this is not an independent media voice that somehow does independent analysis. It's paid advertising for uh, conduit. It is paid for by them, and their message is getting out, and no one else's message is getting through. It's not an analysis. It's not a reporting. It's not a news outlet, even though they represent it to be that way. And that is fine. That's freedom. Uh, but at the same time, you got to debate the marketplace. Otherwise, you know, we, we yield the entire conservative movement to a harsh, angry voice. And I don't believe harsh, angry accomplishes what we want to do here in this state and for the next generation of civic engagement. And so I push back. Uh, I want to do it in a friendly way because they have a right to do it. But I believe in what uh, we're trying to do. Uh, Ronald Reagan was an optimist. He was an optimist about America, and he uh, could could cut a deal with Tip O'Neill, and he helped our country to move forward. And he was a strong person, and that's the kind of dialogue I like to have in relationships and so we'll continue to debate out there. I appreciate your question, but uh, I'm going to continue to speak out for what I believe is the right direction for this state. I'd like to get one thing clear from what you said on Monday. I got the, the quote here saying that uh, you decided to speak out about the Fayetteville Political Action Committee and try to encourage voters to elect legislators who are principled, able to listen, and not controlled by any particular interest group. Are you saying that the people that conduit uh, or action backs are unprincipled? Uh, I am saying that that is the objective of the uh, other side is to control. 
And I think that's exactly what they're trying to do with their uh, multiple uh, contributions. Uh, that didn't make it wrong for them, but I think the public needs to have transparency on where the flow of money comes from. All right, back with you now, Dave Ellswick on the line with us from Northwest Arkansas, Brenda and Joe from uh, Conduit Fraction. As you know, they're with me every Monday at 4 o'clock. And, guys, you heard what he had to say. What's your thoughts about it? Well, um, I think that our governor uh, had the luxury of using a clip from when Joe and I attended Polk County Republican County Committee to go down there and meet the people in person, let them know who was supporting our candidate, Bob Bailey. And they took a clip out of context where, you know, Joe and I had worked all day. We made the two-hour drive to Russellville, and we show up to present and uh, answer questions. Of course, when we got there, we found out it was a rather setup where we had 10 minutes, including our question-answer session. The only people who asked questions was, you know, the opponent, Brianne's uh, henchman, if you will, that she brought, none of them being a member of the committee. And the person, Mike Wilkins, Senior, who was asking the questions, who was very um, um, animated in that community and always I understood from other people stirring up uh, an issue. And he was there obviously defending Brienne, and so he launches an attack uh, toward Joe and his, his family, his children. Now, when someone attacks someone's children, if you watch a man uh, respond to that, you can understand what Joe was doing. And he certainly... Uh, tired as I've seen him, responded accordingly. They clipped that out. I had preferred to answer. Uh, Joe quickly um, lashed out with a male response. This pulls his billfold out of his back pocket, says, look, pal, you know, this is my money. In other words, the money that Conduit uh, enjoys from Joe's family members, those who want to show their dad that they support what he's doing, uh, that doesn't come from any government organization or government contract mm-hmm. or something that any of um, his family's operations earn through something that they get from wanting something back from government, but simply from hard work that that family has been doing for 35 years. So I, I understood that, but my portion of the conversation was not part of that clip strategically, which was, Mr. Wilkins, the only reason you know anything about who gave money the last week of December, basically, of 2017, is because our information is online with the Secretary of State. Everything is transparent. Now, you just heard the governor try to uh, make it sound like our information, our funding is not transparent. It is there for the public to look at. I would ask that they be fair and look at the whole entire um, amount of PACs and where the money has come from, uh, for years, for the last several years, and it is certainly not from one source or one person. I'm sure the people who have um, donated and supported Conduit are quite insulted by the uh, the claim by the governor that all this comes from one person, but we all realize the strategy here. They're trying to attack Joe, diminish his um, involvement in Conduit, therefore you've eliminated the Conduit period. And I take great offense, as you would imagine, Dave, for Asa to pretend that I'm not part of this. I mean, give me a break. One person, we're blessed with several, many people who have supported us for several years now. And apparently for five statewide newspaper or five articles to come out this past week from statewide newspapers attacking us shows, what are you saying must be over the target? 
you're taking flack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I'll let Joe talk. Well, I, I think that the thing that, in that whole thing that he said at the political animals, that even irritated me a lot was when he started talking about principled and unprincipled people running for office. And basically the way I took what he had to say, and I asked him this, as you heard at the end of the, of the show, we got down to it. I just had a few moments and I said, are you saying that all of their, their, uh, you know, the people they've supported are unprincipled. I mean, let's, let's think about that for a minute. We're talking about Josh Miller. We're talking about, you know, uh, Co- you know, Copeland. We're talking about RD. We're talking about a lot of Mr. Bailey. We're talking about a lot of different people here that are principled people running, uh, uh for office. And I, I We're really talking about Brent Smith, who was on Paul's show this morning. We're talking about Scott Flippo, Terry Rice, Gary Stubblefield, uh, we're talking about Brian King, and I think that the governor is talking about the upcoming primaries and preparing to try to take conduit out of the mix because we plan to be very involved in this next primary season as we were the last primary season. This is our second run-in with the governor and him stepping into primaries and bringing his team, the Chambers of Commerce, the uh, statewide newspapers, the liberals, the uh, Max Brantley is, he's the honest person in the debate, which is really hilarious. But John Brummett, <laughs> and you have uh, Arkansas Talk Business, who is just certainly uh, an that's, advertisement for Yeah, the that's real news, right? <laughs> that, that's unbiased news. Yeah, John Burris is one of their writers. I noticed John's been quiet in this arena uh, right now, which I, I, you know, that's good, fine, whatever. We don't really care. But um, this isn't new news to us. You know, honestly, Dave, I, I don't know why you would even entertain the thought of having us on your show, being that the following <laughs> adjectives have been used. We're unprincipled, we're controlling, we're fringe, radical, harsh, and angry. Yeah, I, you know, I got to tell you, Joe, before you go on, let me just say, just a few moments before I came on the air with you, I read this uh editorial from up in in northwest arkansas that's beyond the pale as well oh my god well, I mean, here's, here's the thing that people you know and your your audience that called in when asa was on was was excellent i mean i couldn't have i couldn't have planned that but uh you know the thing about this is that we're not attacking anybody if if anything it's the other way around we're just exposing what they actually do and you know our biggest fault, I guess, if, if you wanted to point one out, is that we actually believe the Republican platform. I mean, we're, we're true believers. Maybe we're naive. But when we see the hard work that the Republican grassroots have done over the past 10 years, and then see what has become of the leadership, it, it seems like they are exactly what Democrats say about Republicans. They they are making that true, and and it's very disappointing because we were there just to support that platform and the people in the Republican Party that was were going to carry it out. Yeah, I I just got to read some of this this editorial today because it makes me want to beat my head against the wall. And you know, after being in this business for nearly fifty years, I've learned that if I started beating my head against the wall, I would never stop. Uh, 
we don't fault anyone for the political ideologies and a desire to wield influence within the political arena, but we do want government to continue representing what our founding fathers intended. I just want to stop that and just say small government, uh, you know, limited uh, ability to get messed up in your life and things of that nature. A place where a place where representatives of the disparate places around the state and regarding Congress around the nation can come together, engage in reasoned debate and develop compromises that all can view as progress. But then let me finish it up by saying we like a governor with the gumption to lay it all out there for conservative values to grasp the reality of Arkansas needs, not the kind rooted in no Arkansas can ill afford the development of a stronger no caucus in the halls of the state capitol. Political leaders need to represent their end of the political spectrum, but they should not abandon the middle because that's where most Arkansans reside. Well, I'm glad um, they've, I, I'm I glad that they've got tell, that. Uh, you know, respond with fighting the fringe editorial from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette attacking us. They, the problem with us is they quoted me in it. They said in recent elections, those groups have spent money supporting candidates who, according to Vassar Taylor, support, quote, smaller government, less spending, and less corruption. And what's it, wrong it, with that? I mean, that's, my, that's our sin, you know? Yeah, what's wrong with that? I would think that that's a good thing as far as I understood about being a, a conservative Republican. Well, the question that I... I have not been able to get an answer that we have never got a, a, a reason to answer for is what's in it for us? I mean, where, where is the lobby and, and the, the, the money to get less government and more freedom? I mean, who, who has time and effort and energy to go down to Little Rock and promote that? Who pays you to work for that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean where's, the, where's the return on investment there? And we, we try to give the Arkansas voters an alternative to they're all crooked. It doesn't matter who you vote for. Yeah. I I'm looking here in the uh, article and here it is right here. It's a new remember that the governor has said he hasn't been involved in primaries, which is not true. He was very involved two years ago and he's been involved this year as well. But this editorial kind of, just kind of glosses over by saying it's unusual for a sitting governor, at least in recent history, to get involved in races farther down the ballot. But Hutchinson, no, there's a battle for the heart of the party. He's devoted much of his life towards building. So then my question is right there in that part of that paragraph, they even know that the governor has been involved in trying to pick winners and losers within the Republican party during the primary, where is a place where the governor should not be involved. He should allow the people of the party to decide who they want to represent their party. Well, I mean, it, it, it's really odd, isn't it? Uh, when the governor comes out in a primary for incumbents because they're incumbents and then says that Obamacare and private option are not related when he's been on record saying they were before. Uh, but, you know, to me, these people are professional liars. 
you know, I hate to say it that way, but that's all you can conclude based on the things that have been said over time. And, and we remember. Well, this morning we were on Paul's show, and we told a few little stories that have gotten us where we are today. One of those stories includes exactly what you're talking about. In uh, July of 2015, we announced what primaries we were going to be involved in and what, what candidates, uh, Senate candidates we were going to support. And as you know, one was Artie Hopper against Eddie Joe Williams. Yep. One was uh, Don, Donnie uh, Copeland against Jane English. Yes. And of course, we were running a candidate up here against John Woods. And Senator Jim Hendren sat in my conference room here at my office in Fayetteville and told Joe and me, we cannot let you guys win another election. So we've all gone into this thing with our eyes wide open, and we knew they were going to be against what we were doing. And for him to pretend that, oh, I've been watching this group, and we're now going to try to stop before they control a legislator, I mean, it is comical. Yeah, that's... that's uh projection and deflection at its finest well you had the the josh miller race that josh won uh you know overwhelmingly but that's one that the governor didn't want to go for josh miller and he was the incumbent well wait wait till you see what happens in uh april and may well i mean you know bob ballinger he's supporting bob ballinger to run against brian king he's supporting james starch to run against linda collin smith he's supporting the uh doctor to run against Dan Sullivan. I mean, those are people who are high on our uh, conduit's honorary vote list. You know, they won our top awards, and that's not a coincidence. It's, you know. Well, and by the way, Dave, uh, none of them agree with us 100% that are on our list. Our, our awards that we do biannually are uh, no, nobody agreed 100% with our positions, and that's fine. But the part that I find interesting is I remember hearing a lot in the beginning of, well, we can disagree, but we need to be respectful. Well, it seems to me that that's only if you agree with them. Because if it's the other way around, look at the respect they're showing now. I told a story about um, the governor calling me January 2015, right after he came into office, and um, Joe and I had been working for the entire year and a half. Our organization had been working against Medicaid expansion, the continuation of that program. And, uh, you know, Arkansas turned red because of Obama's Medicare. Um, and people in Arkansas didn't want that. Legislators were elected to oppose it. And we worked strong in those races, getting Republicans elected across the state in 2014 on that issue. Not that that's a big issue to us. It's just the biggest thing taking up the money in the state, you know, $2 billion uh, program. At any rate, uh, Governor Hutchinson called me the night before Jim Hendren filed SB 96 and said, Brenda, um, if y'all don't support this bill, you're not going to get another thing done in Arkansas. And if you go against my capital gains tax increase, you're not going to accomplish anything in this, this little rock capital. And, uh, I was rather shocked, of course. We had already been in conversation with uh, Senator Hendren to try to change his proposed bill before he found it, to try to truly end it, even though I could read, Joe could read, um, and knew that it would not end it. But uh, the governor assured me that conduit would be ineffective if we didn't go along with his continuation of the Medicaid expansion and the tax increase. And I told him that we had worked hard to elect the people. We could not change our position. And so we parted the conversation, you know, me sad and him 
I guess he had given us a warning. All right. uh, th- that's what we've been through, All right, you know, that kind of thing. And that story's not an isolated occurrence with the conversation with the governor, nor his, um, his nephew and uh, opportunities we've had to make our positions clear and him to let us know where he was going to take our state. All right, got to take a break. We'll be back. Our guests from uh, Conduit for Action, Joe and Brenda, are with us. We're going to come back, talk about this some more. You got a question, a statement, 823-0965. All right, we got just uh, about, uh, well, a little less than a, a, a minute. Uh, we're going to get to uh, Fox News and uh, catch up in a minute about what the big story is of the day. Probably have something to do with the opioid uh, problems here in the United States. The president spoke on that today. Had a big, had a big uh, speech that he did uh, in New Hampshire, if I'm not mistaken, is where he was at Manchester, New Hampshire, and that's where he started his campaign a couple of years ago. And he wanted to go back and tell them that he was working on the uh, opioid epidemic and. Uh, had some things that he wanted to say about that. One of them being that in certain cases uh, that uh, drug dealers should be put to death. It's kind of an interesting thing to say, and it's generated a lot of action on social media. Back in a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we'll continue the Dave Ellswick Show here at 96.5 FM, The Answer. And uh, joining us, uh, Brenda Vester-Smith and Joe Maynard from Conduit for Action, conduitforaction.org, conduitforcommerce.org, and a great place to go to read some different uh, information than you typically read in, you know, the Demgaz or uh, other publications. Uh, Of course, because of that, that makes them, uh, you know, some kind of pariah, evidently, for some people, but you know, I might not agree with everything that uh, that Brenda and, and Joe believe in, but I think we believe in the basics, which is, you know, limited government, less spending, and, uh, you know, less government interference in our day-to-day I- existence. I, I would think that's everybody that's a Republican. That would be their, uh, their thoughts. But I found out over the last few years that ain't necessarily so. Would you agree with that, Joe? You know, well said, Dave. Uh, I would I would caution everybody to think about and pay attention to the language that's going to be used. And, for example, uh, we are going to be called the fringe, and we're going to be called ultra-conservative, yeah. far-right. And I think if someone says that about what we do, then they are, in fact, indicting the entire Republican platform and the Republican Party. Uh, you know, I, I noticed that AFB uh, had an ad on. Where, where do we disagree any with AFP? So are they radicals and are they fringe? Uh, I don't know where we disagree with people like that. But one thing that you're, you're going to see as a pattern over the next few months is going to be the Chamber of Commerce, the governor, the leadership, Republican leadership in Little Rock, talk business, liberal liberal reporters, or am I being redundant, <laughs> uh, lobbyists, big business, and Democrats will all adopt the same language to marginalize us because they cannot 
show that we are untruthful. They can say we're untruthful, but they can't point it out. Or they don't. And they don't. <laughs> so, you know, just throwing stuff against the wall as a smear campaign, that, that's Zelensky. And, you know, it's a shame. And, and Brent and I are, are not angry. We are sad for the Republican Party and those people who built it. Well, I mean, we're just sad about it. By the way, we have a uh, a post on my my Facebook today as people watch the the video of the show today. It says, I am also concerned about Mr. Uh, Hutchinson when he said it was government's job to make things fair. Where is that in the state or federal constitution? Yeah, and fair for who? He's not trying to make things fair. I mean, you know, free speech is, is on life support in Arkansas right now. Everyone, I mean, it's incumbent upon people to learn this, and, and it's very hard to learn. And then I know that if there's enough noise, you're lying, you're lying. You know, people just assume everyone lie, lies, and that's what politicians do. Joe and I are not politicians. We're not getting anything from government. This is costing us. And, and we're not just two people, you know. I mean, there are other people who work with us and, and supporters across the state. But, you know, this is, a, this is a watershed moment for the party, and the Democrats are worried about tearing apart the, pro- the party. I mean, John Brummett, uh, you know, Doug Thompson in Northwest Arkansas, they're grieved over tearing apart the Republican Party. Well, wake up, people. <laughs> yeah, they, they agree with Asa, unfortunately. You know, another interesting point uh, that people probably don't get context on much is that in most of these primaries that the governor has injected himself into with the Chamber of Commerce and all the other big businesses uh, and the lobbyists and PACs, they've generally spent in the 200 uh, or hundreds of thousands of dollars versus our tens of thousands that we can drum up. And they still piss and moan about being... Uh, having any kind of competition. It's very frightening that they don't want a single word of dissension. I remember, you know, we we all know about history and governments who took that mentality, and you can read about China's mentality in that respect almost every day in the uh, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and uh, I I don't want to make the comparison, but it almost is frightening. I looked up the meaning of fascist earlier today. A central autocratic government with a dictator forcibly suppress, suppressing opposition. And that, that kind of sounds like what's going on, doesn't it? Well, I'm going to tell you what. We've been moving that way in this nation for this several years. This is administration. Who would have thought? I mean, we certainly were naive enough to think that they believed in what they said. Well, I, I agree with that. I don't disagree with that, uh, at all. I, you know, I, in the next hour of my show, that's specifically what Robert Steinbach and I talk about incessantly is, uh, the people who have the first amendment under attack as far as free speech goes and, uh, what's happening to free speech in our country. We're going to talk about a, a kid today at a, at a, uh, university in Indiana that asked questions of a professor who was making, uh, statements that were patently false. And, uh, the, the teacher threw him out of the class, told him he can't ever come back 
and it's a class that he's got to have if he wants to graduate from college. So uh, Dr. Piper, who runs Oklahoma Wesleyan, uh, sent the kid a tweet and said, look, we get we teach this class as well. You can come here. You can take the class for free, and then you can graduate. But, I mean, it's just amazing, you know, uh, how how freedom of speech is under attack now. Well, freedom of religion, anything that people do not stand up to hold on to will be under attack, and we will lose it in this country, in this state. It's, it's interesting that we actually underwrite, as the taxpayers, the governor's speech. Uh, he gets to go all around the state saying whatever he says, almost unchallenged, and we have to pay for every single thing we put out there. And he's upset that we're able to pay for something to go out there. Did you know I had to basically threaten a lawsuit to uh, get Bob Bailey's ad printed in the local newspaper? I mean, that's how bad it is. Oh, well, they were... And there's not a lot of... Uh, I guess our phone's not ringing off the hook with people wanting to get our side of the, of the story that the governor put out. I did a response. Ha- well, I did have a, a, a Wesley Brown from Talk Business. He did call my office, left a message... Uh, and, and then I followed up with an email, and he said, oh, yeah, I want your response. And he, he gave me four questions. I sent them back to him, and crickets, you know, they're still sitting there waiting to be published, I suppose. Talk Business hasn't, hasn't you know, run been them bothered yet. with publishing a response from us. All right, well, let's take a call. Janet's over in Conway. Let's get her on here. Hey, Janet, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. What you got for us today? Hey, Dave, thanks. I'm glad you had time to do it on because um, I thought you had a fascinating caller last week by the name of Leslie from Conway. And she actually made the point or asked the governor, who is the machine? I mean, they were accusing Brenda and Joe and Conduit News, I guess, for being a machine when just as Joe accurately said a while ago, he can go anywhere he wants to at any time, any club, any anything. Anytime the governor speaks, he is uh, on the news he gets and you're right he does not have a follow-up very many follow-ups at all and he doesn't have uh, anyone questioning and what i see i was insulted by what the governor said simply because part of us is because some of us walk the streets for candidates that didn't even live in our district because we are interested in smaller more limited government and yet he has the audacity to uh, you know complain because of some people wanting to get out and, and, and do what they can do for candidates they, that they agree with. When the, the, work, the time that I really knew the governor is, is disingenuous is when he started inserting himself into Republican primaries. Then I knew you had somebody you could not ever trust. So that's my two cents on that. But I'm glad you had conduit on, and, and I'm glad there's a conduit because there's not a lot of other people. You didn't even criticize Brantley and – John Brummett, he just has Brummett over for lunch often. So the leadership, Hendrens, Rapert, uh, all those guys, it, it is, it's really sad. It's really sad because actually I think Conduit supports the Republican Party platform. Well, I won't disagree with uh, uh, that. I can't disagree with that. And we have Conduit, as I'm sure you know, on the Dave Ellswick show every Monday at four o'clock we have we have them on for an hour every week to talk to them about what's going on here in the state of arkansas all right we got uh 15 minutes left i gotta get my final break in guys hang right there we'll be right back it's the dave ellswick show 96.5 fm the answer 
We got 12 minutes remaining here on the Dave Ellswick show for the four o'clock hour with, uh, of course, Brenda and Joe of Conduit for Action. They appear every Monday from four to five with me, unless something abnormal happens. The president speaks or something like that. At that point, everything else gets blown out uh, so the president can be heard. But uh, they're on just about every Monday here from uh, four to five. Don't forget that uh, Conduit for, uh, for uh, was it Conduit News uh, with the Paul Harrell show every morning. 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Another uh, caller, Carol, uh, from Roland calling in. And, Carol, how are you? And welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you very much. I uh, just wanted to say amen to the lady who called previously. But uh, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, you know, we have um, a number of people in the Republican Party in Congress who have an R before their name or after it, wherever they want to put it, <laughs> and um, doesn't mean a thing. Uh, they are globalist, and they're fighting everything that our founding fathers stood for. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, this governor, I know him well, and he is a rhino. He thinks that if you have an R in front of your name, doesn't matter what you stand for, you're one of us. That just doesn't work. I look at Mitch McConnell, and I see he's fighting everything we've elected our president to do. He has been against... I mean, our president has fought everybody up there. I mean, the the news media and people in his own party. It isn't um, true that just because you call yourself a Republican... Look at John McCain. He's not a Republican. He doesn't stand for Republican... uh, principles, but this president thinks that as long as you have an R, um, you know, you're, you're okay, but power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and it, it saddened me to hear that his nephew, uh, Jim Hendren, is going to be the president pro tem in the Senate, and I commend you folks at Conduit. I only found you a couple of weeks ago, but um, I will certainly be supporting you because I believe what you're doing. I was an unpaid lobbyist when the Clintons were in power in Little Rock, and um, it was not pretty. It was not pretty. My husband and I paid dear for that, (laughs) but we were small business um, uh, operators for, well, he was twice elected by his peers to the small business, uh, White House uh, Council on Small Business on two different years and two different presidents, and... um, so we have been fighting the fight, but uh, Hillary had my husband and I uh, audited by the IRS five straight years and never did, the, did they ever find anything wrong with our filings, and it was strictly um, a vengeance thing. And so I see, sadly, vengeance coming out uh, of this governor, and that's very sad because no. free speech, if we've lost our free speech, we've lost everything. All right, our, Carol. Our, our ability to object. All right. I so, appreciate you calling. You. Thank you very much. That was Carol from from Roland. Anything uh, you all want to say about what she had to say? Well, Carol sounded harsh, didn't she, Dave? <laughs> oh yeah, unreasoned too. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, we. You know, long story short, you know, we started out trying to help the Republican Party and its members, and and we parted company when they the leadership required deception. You know, we we cannot even agree on reality with these people. 
You know, Democrats and, and liberal reporters, they, they know that Medicaid expansion is Obamacare. They know it, and they say it all the time. Asa has said that it's not. You know, are PACs good or bad? I mean, make up your mind, Asa. You know, you, you get millions of dollars from these PACs. You know, you had over 100 of them, uh, contributions from PACs in the last three or four years. You know, where's the discussion about what we say that's untrue? What's the, where's the discussion about what our goals are? What's, when's the discussion about our message? I mean, they're trying to define something that's not real. I mean, we define it by our actions. And I, I, I'm, I fear that they just, they're busted, they know it, and it makes them mad. Well, I'm sure as people have listened to uh, the governor, there are, there are people who feel that uh, that he's mad. I, I just know I've been... I've been concerned and uh, about how often he's gotten involved in primaries. I don't mind if the governor gets involved in the general election and I would expect him to get involved in the general election and get behind the person that the people from whatever district it is, who's picked that person uh, to run uh, to represent them. Uh, But I don't understand him getting involved in primaries, except that he wants as the op-eds are saying that uh, supposedly you all want uh, only one system of, of government. That seems to me, if you have your own pack, that's what, uh, that's what the governor's trying to do, is it not? Well, we came into this trying to give small business a place at the table, a mm-hmm. voice, because we saw that they did not. We're both small business people, and that's what we saw was missing. And when John Woods got the, the bill uh, or the ballot initiative uh, or the referendum passed or helped you know do that, uh, the small business no longer had an opportunity to just give a check. They had to go through a pack, and that limited their access even more. So I do want to clarify something. I'll just go through four quick points that were, was in my response to talk business. Go ahead. Uh, first, this is not – Joe and I are not talking for Conduit for Action today, not – not conduit for commerce, but our PAC organization, which is commerce in action. So it's hard to keep those straight. It's hard for everyone. And, uh, you know, but we do, we keep a fine, distinct line and it's, and it's strong and we, we go by the rules. So commerce in action is really who's involved in the elections. We have learned that, you know, remember one of the first times we were on your show, we talked about the uh, seven strategies to grow government. Yes. And projection deflection is one of the tools we found out that is widely used by politicians. And I think the governor put projection deflection, you, you project onto your opponent what you're guilty of before they have a chance to accuse you of it. And that's what I heard a, uh, governor doing on your show with the political animal show in all of these interviews. And when he says that our candidates are unprincipled, I responded to talk business with uh, his candidates are John Woods and Jake Files. Our candidates are trying to defeat those people. Now, who's unprincipled? I think we all know that uh, ex-Senator John Woods waiting on an indictment and, and Jake Files resigned due to a confession to um, criminal behavior. And then lastly, I, I pointed out that uh, the people that our candidates run against are running against an opponent who is outfunded two to three times more than the people that we support. And so to, to claim that we're trying to control anything, projection deflection is on display for people to learn the principles that uh, the political industry works in. All right. I mean, you've, you've made those points many a time here on the show. And uh, if I thought that you were, quote, unprincipled, 
you wouldn't be on my show every week. You know, that's not well, going to happen. Well, we just want people to learn the issues and then see what these guys do. Yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's what we talk about uh, in the in the group, in, in the conduit organization, is we need to get the truth and the message out there. We have a point of view, yes, it's the Republican platform point of view. And if the voters reject that, so be it. We're good with that. We're good with that. But don't lie to them. Don't deceive them. And, and don't demonize somebody that's promoting what you claim you believe in. Because Brenda and I can both go back to our businesses and just be happy as clams, and, and we don't need any of this stuff. If we help someone get elected according to their constituents, their voters want smaller, limited government candidates elected, and if that person will hold to his principles that got him elected, they'll never hear from us again. Brent Smith was on the radio this morning saying, well, I haven't talked to Brenda Joe in over a year. You know, I mean, that's accurate information there. But he did mention that the target on his back, because he's he's supported by conduit, glows in the dark. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, uh, I'm sure that that was the reason, you know, I mean, Josh Miller, you know, got into it with the governor during the session uh, a year ago. And that's one of the reasons before that session Josh was, uh, I thought, was particularly targeted at that time. Well, well something that I, well, I also found interesting that I hadn't mentioned before was early on, we were uh, cautioned about, you know, don't make it personal. Well, I guess if you tell people, look, let's say that you and I were in a grocery store and we had a good friend and we noticed that our good friend was shoplifting. Well, do you say anything? Or since he's your friend, you say nothing. So when when we found ourselves in that situation, you know, what do you do? You either don't say anything and become part of it, or you speak up. Now, that's not personal. And it seems like the personal stuff only goes one way. They want to demonize Brenda, or they want to demonize Joe. Look, let's talk policy. You know, let's talk what has happened. Let's talk who voted for what. Let's uh, talk about that and stay on the issues. But that won't get them where they want to go because that's a losing strategy for them. All right, guys, we're out of time. I got to let you go. It'll be another week, and we'll get back together and, and talk some more. Have a great week, and uh, I'll see you next Monday at 4 o'clock. Thanks for free speech, Dave. Well, <laughs> thanks for the opportunity. Guys. Thanks a really lot. Do. We appreciate you. Have a good one. All right, Joe and Brenda and uh, ConduitForAction.com, ConduitForCommerce.com, CommerceForAction.org, uh, pardon me, O-R-G. All right, we got Fox next, and then Robert Steinbach will be with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final hour of a Monday show. Been a good one today. A lot of information for you. Started the day off with State Representative Michelle Gray talking about what they did uh, for uh, the small market pharmacies. And uh, that went along with what we heard from the insurance commissioner, Alan, uh, Alan last uh, week. And uh, Alan, I'm, I'm totally lost my, yeah, Alan Kerr, thank you. I wanted to say Alan Clark, who's a state senator. But the bottom line was, Alan was on here and, and explained the whole thing dealing with uh, uh, paying the, the pharmacist as well and giving the pharmacist now the right to tell you you don't have to go through your insurance company. 
as a pharmacist, I can get your drug cheaper for you. Would you like to do it that way? And I think most people's answer to that would be absolutely. All right. Robert Steinbach joins us here for the last hour. He is a uh, professor of law at, uh, you know, uh, good folks over at UALR and his opinion and uh, his opinion is his alone, not uh, or doesn't necessarily reflect those of uh, the university or the Bowen School of Law. So now that I got my mind in gear again, let's get Robert up here. And we got a lot of a lot of different uh, stories uh, to look at, Robert. I couldn't believe I, I'm believing now that these people are challenging the First Amendment just to see if they can get under our skin. What do you think? I think that might be right. It's really just a remarkable turnaround. We've talked about it. I think every week that I'm on, uh, last year, we've spoken about how the First Amendment is really under assault. And you send me these stories, and it would be, if you were to put in the email, Rob, can you believe it? My response would be, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, I don't don't say that because I feel the same way. I know it. I know it. But that's the irony. And the attack right now uh, on the First Amendment is largely, overwhelmingly, from the left. Uh, Uh And you know it, Dave. You and I both will criticize the left or the right if they're attacking the First Amendment. Yes. Uh, But the fact is, today, it's coming from the left. Yeah, I mean, we we went after, well, it was the left, but it was the leftists that they were attacking in this uh, professor who was talking about things that, uh, you know, the progressives didn't like, and she was one of the best of their best, and they still went that's after right. her. So we, oh, that's we right. had to go. They, we had, they eat their young, as they say. You know, they, the left is eating their young. They're going after each other. They're certainly going after conservatives, because if you don't have the dogma, if you don't say what you're supposed to say, really comically, as if it were from the, the novel 1984, then then they'll attack you, plain and simple. All right. Well, let, let's start off with the first story. A, yeah. re, a religious studies major was barred from Christianity class at Indiana University of Pennsylvania for saying during class that there are only two genders. Now, everybody can gasp together. <sighs> Somebody would say right. that. Uh, late That's right. Lake Engel, a senior at the university, said he was silenced and punished by IUP professor Allison Downey for questioning her during a February 28th uh, Christianity 481 class called Self, Sin, and Salvation Lecture after showing a 15-minute TED Talk by transgender ex-pastor Paula Stone-Williams discussing the, quote, reality of mansplaining sexism for men and male privilege, the professor asked the women in the class to share their thoughts. When no women in the class said anything, Engel spoke up, challenging the professor on biology and the gender wage gap. He told the class that the official view of biologists is that there are only two genders, And then the uh, feminist uh, professor booted him from class, asked him not to come back. She referred him to the public university's academic integrity board. Uh, Sounds like star chamber. Uh, Exactly. Engel needs to complete the class to graduate at the end of the semester. You are barred from attending this class in accordance with the classroom 
disrupt, disruption policy, Provost Timothy Moreland told Engel in a March 2nd letter. So this guy can't graduate unless he takes the class. He can't take the class because the professor won't let him. Now, Piper, the uh, head of Oklahoma Wesleyan, who wrote the great letter to the students coming to his college and said uh, that he don't have any place for snowflakes, sent uh, this kid a letter and a, uh, a text and a, and a, uh, a tweet saying, come to Oklahoma Wesleyan. We'll let you take this class, which we teach as well. Uh, and you don't have to pay for it so you can graduate with your degree. Well, good, well, good for good for them for coming to his rescue. Hopefully that part works out. But it doesn't change the underlying problem, right? That that you're not allowed to think or say something contrary to the dogma. And it's much like what we've talked about when we were talking about the gay marriage debate. The, the day after President Obama, then President Obama, who ran on a policy of being against gay marriage, the day after he swung in favor of gay marriage, which he's free to do, of course he was forced to by uh, the vice president at the time, but regardless, the day after, if you didn't agree with Obama, then you were a racist or a homophobe or whatever the right phrase in that context would be when they try to brand you because they don't like what you're saying or thinking. And so it's the same thing here. It's just so remarkable that these people uh, want not only to tell you how to think, that's what education really is about. They want to tell you what to think. And then it's not education. It's a madrasa, right? It's an indoctrination camp. Yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what it becomes. Dr. Allison Downey referred to student Lake Ingle to IUP's Academic Integrity Board. Can't believe that there's boards like that now. Originally asking for a forced apology and an opportunity to silence and lecture him. She eventually decided to banish him from class. Of course. Of course, because... Some people can go to re-education camps, like post Vietnam, uh, post Southern Vietnam after the war, uh, and then some people are just—they're not savable, and then we've got to dispose of them if they're not thinking correctly. Of course, I'm being sarcastic, mm-hmm. just to be clear, but this is the sentiment amongst the extremists on the left. And to be clear, they're moderate liberals. They don't think like this either. This is extremism. However, to be clear extremism on the left in academia is not a tiny minority. It is perhaps the majority, if not a a significant minority. Yeah, well, uh, what uh, Ingalls said is said, when you see this kind of misuse of intellectual power, you want to be the person that comes back because he wants to be a professor one day. You want to be the person that comes back and does it responsibly and with morals. Instead of being the purveyor of your uh, ideology, you can be an educator, period. Wow. Well, that's a great sentiment. That, that, uh, I wish I wish that were the sentiment of the, the significant group of extreme leftists in academia across this country. Because it's simply not. Look, I've got a lot of students of all political 
stripes. And I've seen a lot of students of all political stripes in the various places that I visited, lectured at, etc. And I welcome opinions that differ from mine. Those are the ones that can be more entertaining to engage with. When someone agrees with you, you know what they say? I agree with you. When they disagree with you, you can have a debate. But when in this context, you see those in control trying to impose their viewpoints on the students, it's downright dangerous. And it's exactly the same type of scary uh, um, concerns that we had about fascism, about communism, which is a type of fascism, let's face it, uh, during after the war, after World War II, and during the, the period of conflict uh, of the Cold War. And yet all of that has essentially gone away, but the insidious nature of being told by authority figures not how, how to go through the thinking process, but of what to think is growing more and more across university campuses. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous for us to send our kids to these schools if this is what they're doing. Let me be clear. It's not always what happens across university campuses. It's not what happens in my classes. It's not what happens in the classes of many good professors that I know across this country. But it happens, and it happens too often. So when... Over at Bowen School of Law, do you all have one of these organizations that kids end up at? Sounds kind of like the star chamber that they got here at this university. Let's see, what's the name of it again? The uh, IUP's Academic Integrity Board. I don't know. I don't think we do. I, I, certainly not, not. I've never come across that. Um, so uh, luckily, uh, I don't think that sort of formalistic brainwashing is taking place at UALR, um, and that's a good thing. Uh, I have seen at various schools, professors, administrators, it, it varies, try to impose their will upon student thinking, try to tell them, you must think this way. I it would not surprise me to see across various schools uh, professors telling students, you can't say that there are only two genders or two sexes. Uh, uh, and I don't think it's appropriate for faculty or administrators to tell students, you can't say that, you can't think that. Now, if the faculty member has a contrary belief uh, and he's teaching a course, uh, about the topic in which he wants to discuss that belief, or he does so extramurally, uh, then they can have a discussion about it. But telling students that they can't think something is not only not what teaching is about, it's not effective. You don't achieve anything. You think this student that they effectively booted out of this school now believes what they want him to believe? No. And that's the thing. Universities are not camps. They're not private clubs. They're places of learning. So barking out at students, you must think this, doesn't really change anything. That's bad teaching is what that is. I, I agree totally. But when we come back, Robert, I want to talk to you about a story that we talked about last year. And the, sure. uni the university, Wayne State now, 
has reversed the school's decision. Um, we'll tell everybody why <laughs> when we get back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. we got to get our first break in. Let's do that. Robert Steinbach is our guest. He is a professor of law over at the uh, Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily respect uh, or like that at Bowen School. They don't have his opinions for the most part or UALR. All right, we continue to Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach is our guest. As we left during the last break, I mentioned there was a story that came out today that Robert and I talked about last year. And uh, so let me kind of bring it back for you. Wayne State, by the way, one of those uh, colleges that every once in a while shows up in the NCAA basketball tournament. We see that happen. Uh, a Christian student group has now been welcomed back on campus at Wayne State University after they uh, threatened a lawsuit for being unfairly booted out. The school reversed its decision just two days after InterVarsity Christian Fellowship threatened a lawsuit represented by Beckett, a national legal organization. Quote, after a review of the situation and communicating with the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship organization, Wayne State has decided to recertify the group as an official student organization. That's according to uh, Matt Lockwood, Wayne State spokesperson. The InterVarsity student group is committed to welcoming and including all students, and the university will not intervene in the group's leadership selection. Now, you'll remember this is the group that was originally kicked out because if you wanted to be a leader in this Christian group, you had to be a Christian. You couldn't be, you know, an atheist or an agnostic. You had to be a Jesus follower. Uh, Lloyd Wyndham, senior counsel at Beckett, said the university decision is a move in the right direction, but more needs to be done. Quote, it's about time that Wayne State let InterVarsity come in from the cold. Christian student groups should be able to have Christian leaders Now Wayne State needs to make this permanent and ensure this unfair treatment will never happen again. Again, the issue arose in 2017 when the Detroit-based public college started a new online registration system for its some 400 student organizations. After the InterVarsity filled out the form, the group was de-recognized after Uh, being on campus for 75 years because of the, quote, Constitution's requirement that leaders share the chapter's faith was inconsistent with the school's non-discrimination code, Robert. The school's decision to kick out the Christian student group was not only unfair, but uh, unconstitutional, uh, uh, according to Wyndham. Like many other student groups at Wayne State, anyone, regardless of religious beliefs, could join InterVarsity. But if they wanted to become a leader, they had to profess the faith requirement consistent with the group's mission. The bottom line is they didn't change their minds because they wanted to. Let's go right back to the first line here. A Christian student group has been welcomed back on campus at Wayne State University after threatening a lawsuit for being unfairly booted out. Took them over a year. 
to get back on campus? You know, it highlights a very important issue. You will find that those often in power will say, oh, if he's pesky, uh, we're too litigious. We have too many lawsuits. People are looking for a fast buck or a fast deal or some sort of scam. And the fact is, the reason we have courts and judges and lawyers and litigation, the process of suing people, is because the alternative is people are going to duke it out. People are going to fight and use violence against each other. Mm-hmm. And here was a clear example of where there was absolute wrongdoing by the school, and these good people went to court or threatened to go to court, and sure enough, the wrongdoers came around. And so the next time you hear somebody say, oh, it's another one of those lawyers out there suing, remember, lawyers are often out there suing for your rights. I'm not saying every lawyer is an angel. No, nobody, uh, not, not every person in any group is an angel. But the fact is that lawyers do real important things in ensuring that we have our rights. And this is such a classic example. You have a Christian group uh, on campus, and they have what strikes me, frankly, as a rather modest requirement, meaning they say, anybody can join, anybody can come, anybody can talk. But if you want to be a leader in the organization that is a Christian organization, well, you kind of got to be Christian. Yep. And by the way, the same notion extends across any group. Yeah, right? I so agree with that. But the Christians are the targets on campus these days. It's, this, is, this is a simple truth, that it is easier for Christians to be targeted by the leftists on campus, and so they go after a group like this. And I think, frankly, uh, I've seen in operation— Christian uh, law student groups and other Christian groups on campus. And these are groups that go out and do good for the community, for the school, and for society. And to bash them, no less, is just such an insult. But more importantly, perhaps from my perspective as a lawyer and a law professor, it's illegal. Well, and, the, and and it was the use of the law that brought around the administration in this school. Uh, what was it, Wayne State? Yeah, Wayne State. We got a minute here. We'll be back yeah. in, in a moment. InterVarsity's sure. purpose, quote, is to establish and advance at colleges and universities, witnessing communities of students and faculty who follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. The group has been active in the community for decades, volunteering at food pantries, helping clean up rundown neighborhoods in Detroit and raising awareness on the plague of human trafficking and holding discussions on campus about the intersection of Christianity, race, and social issues. Yeah, that sounds like one of those groups that you immediately want to run off campus. We'll be back and talk more about this and other uh, issues. And I also like to talk about uh, there's a lot of pro bono uh, lawyers out there doing great work. But right now, let's get to Fox News. We continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Laugh last half hour of the show here that uh, I hope that you've been enjoying today. We've covered just a ton of issues. And here we are in the last hour with Robert Steinbach and uh, talking about what we always end up talking about, which is uh, freedom of speech, because 
as much as the Second Amendment is under attack, the First Amendment is probably doubly under attack uh, by the progressives uh, within the school systems because there's very few people uh, coming to the rescue uh, of people who um, are being told they can't take classes because they don't agree with the professor and all the other things that are being used uh, against people. And Robert, uh, we do have some great lawyers out there. They do a lot of pro bono work. This one group, Beckett, uh, is one of those organizations that helps uh, Christian organizations uh, specifically to fight back. And you know what? All it took was the threatening of a lawsuit in this university caved. Well, that's right. And and there are a lot of important groups. You had that other group whose name slips my mind uh, that did the um, the Jewish or, uh, um, organization uh, lawsuit, if you recall, um, last year. Uh, you had a woman out from California who was on your show, uh, outstanding, uh, uh, and, and they do they do largely, I think, uh, Christian. Uh, issues on campus, et cetera, that where there's discrimination, but they did one fairly recently uh, regarding the, the Jewish group. And they're, because the point is that if any one religious group doesn't have the opportunity to be represented, then all of them don't have any opportunity to be uh, represented. And it's, it's dangerous. It's down, we talked last week on your show, Dave, with some school wanted some Islamic group uh, to have a speaker sign a pledge against this policy that is essentially anti-Israel policy. And I'm pro-Israel, but I'm not going to require anybody, be it a member of the Islamic group who's coming to speak or anyone else, to sign a pledge that they're for Israel. I hope they are for Israel, but if they're not, they're entitled not to be. So. That's the point uh, that they have to be able to think and say what they believe. Yeah, and going and, back to and they say what they want to believe. And if you got an organization that believes in Israel, bring your own speaker in. That's right. That's right. And you said a moment ago that the First Amendment is under attack more so than the Second Amendment. You're 100 percent correct about that. And more importantly, it's from the First Amendment that all of the other amendments flow. If we allow our children to be indoctrinated in these leftist madrasas so that they don't think on their own, they're not going to be concerned about the Second Amendment or any other amendment. I heard about a story uh, where one you know, they had these marches where uh, high school students were marching against uh, firearms, et cetera, whatever. But some student who was conservative and didn't want to go to the march got written up for not going to the march. Yeah, that was well, in Ohio, a, in right? Ohio High School. Isn't that unbelievable? That is a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about. That's not freedom of thought. That's not learning how to think. That's a madrasa. That's being told, you must think this. You must say this. And therefore, you, they won't have any interest in the Second Amendment because they will become, as time goes on, so indoctrinated by the the uber left that there won't be any conservative or moderate left. Yeah, I I agree that they're... They're trying to con, uh, continue uh, con, to uh, construct it in such a way that if you don't agree with the people who are uh, controlling the dialogue, 
you are not long for the university that you are attending. There's just no doubt about this. And that's why, uh, again, I'm getting hold of that uh, state representative in Minnesota, and I'm going to get a hold of her uh, her piece of that bill that she's going to file in their, that's right. their time uh, coming up here in the, the summer uh, in uh, one of their meetings. And I want one of our people here in Arkansas to carry it where the First Amendment is guaranteed on every right. college and university campus in Arkansas. Yeah, we, we talked before the break how the ultra-left is attacking the left and the right. Alan Dershowitz, he's a big liberal. Now, yeah. he's more moderate on issues like Israel, uh, but overall he's a big liberal, and he gets attacked when he decides to go away from the uber-left dogma for example, with Israel, he's a he's a strong supporter, as he should be, in my opinion, of Israel. Uh, and the left shouts him off the stage. He's right. not allowed to talk. And that's one of the examples that uh, these types of bills are uh, designed to address when when people are not allowed to have freedom of thought and, of course, freedom of expression and freedom of speech. And, and and that is bad for us, no matter who the speaker is. I don't have to attend a leftist speaker if I don't want to hear that leftist speaker. That's okay. But that leftist speaker is entitled to speak the same way the conservative speaker is entitled to speak. Yeah, let, let's, in the last segments here, talk about this article written by Scott Greer from The Daily Caller. American youth love free speech unless it offends them. And just exactly. Let me read just a little bit of this. Uh, unfortunately, uh, what ref- it, there's a larger trend being uh, reflected now among young people and how they view free speech. The vast majority of millennials and generation Z claim to support free speech unless it's deemed to be too offensive. A new Gallup poll shows that the majority of college students prefer a, quote, diverse and inclusive society over free speech. Nearly. Go ahead. If I could just interrupt briefly. And I prefer prefer unicorns and rainbows. (laughs) Just so you know. Well, and what they don't understand, the only way you have a diverse and inclusive society is if you can make the argument that that's the kind of society that you need. Well, not only that, diverse what? Diverse hairstyle? Diverse shape of noses? Diverse skin color? That's all fine. That's been diverse for some time now. Or diversity of thought, because they've quite clearly said diversity of thought is not what they want. They just want different shapes and sizes. Well, what's it, nursery school? And we're picking out the different colored blocks and different shaped blocks? That doesn't matter. What matters is diversity of thought. And it's exactly the opposite of what they want. No, you can't say this. You can't say that. And by the way, you can't think that. They will tell you that. We heard that or discussed it regarding that audio from the professor in Canada where the the powers that be were telling her, you're not allowed to read and think and talk about Charles Murray, a a noted conservative scholar with whom you may disagree, by the way, that's fine. But 
he, you're not allowed to think about him. You're not allowed to talk about him. You're not allowed to discuss him in class. You're not allowed to tell a class that some people think that you should use the pronoun they, so it's uh, either to not pick any genders or for those people that decide they don't fit into the he or she gender. And then other people say, no, that's not appropriate, and you should only use he or she gender. You're not allowed to have that debate and discussion because one side of that debate is is for, for forbidden, is verboten. No. Can't even bring it up. Can't bring it up. Now tell me, Dave, in all seriousness, why is that not fascism? Right. During fascism, you had to say that Hitler was the ruler and you had to say that Jews were bad. Uh, So why is not saying these things the same as fascism? And what the leftists will tell you, oh, because these things are right. Yeah. Well, guess what? The, the, The Nazis thought they were right. They weren't, but they thought they were right. And, and so, and the good. citizens of their country thought exactly. that Hitler was was right. Many of them did. That's exactly right. So, why is it that the left thinks they have the monopoly on knowledge? And then, by the way, the irony of ironies is they criticize some conservatives about the whole climate change issue, saying that conservatives are not paying attention to science. Uh, And then they come up with all of these distinctions uh, of uh, multiple sexes. And I didn't learn any of that in biology class, which is what I call science class. I I agree 100%. Well, students now demand a, quote, positive campus environment that bans offensive speech, of course, who determines what's offensive speech? That's according to a poll uh, from Gallup. A 2017 Cato survey found that 49% of college students want, quote, hate speech banned. And again, what is hate speech and who determines what is hate speech? College well, students, they, college students they, demonstrate this preference on a regular basis in their willingness to use force to shut down speakers they disagree with. Sadly, it appears current high schoolers are only going to reinforce this trend when they go to college. Many top universities announced they would not punish skipping class to protest against guns, signaling their support for the demonstrations. You just wonder what would happen, let's say, a, a university of 12,000 students and you've got uh, a group of 200 that say, won't you come out for 17 minutes on this day and join us to protest against abortion? Exactly. That's exactly right. And what would the schools do? They would punish those students. That's exactly so, what they would and, do. And what, and what does that tell you, Dave? It tells you that they're making choices as to the content of the speech. They're telling students, you may use this speech and you may not use this speech. And back to your apt question, what is hate speech? I've got a new definition because I know I've finally determined what it really is. It's not the nonsense that the left is claiming it is. Hate speech is speech that those on the left hate. That's correct. That's what hate speech is. Thank you very right? much. It's whatever they hate. <laughs> exactly. 
It's totally subjective. Whatever they hate is hate speech, and they want to ban it. And they almost as openly say, yeah, that's the test, whether or not I dislike it. And if you say, but wait a second, I I don't like when you talk about um, pro-choice. I don't like when you say that abortion should be legal. So I find that offensive. They would say, no, 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 you don't seem to understand. We on the left alone in charge That's right. define what is hate speech, and it's a speech that we leftists hate. And once you understand that, life becomes very simple. You can be the robot following what we tell you to do. Please line up now. Well, here's the, the worst part. Did we have to take one more break, or are we done? Got one more. When we come back, Robert, I want to talk to you about this. We're seeing where colleges get behind demonstrations. What really worries me is now it's moved all the way down to elementary school. During these, these gun demonstrations against guns, you had third grade classes going out and demonstrating against guns. Don't tell me those kids came up with the idea to go out and demonstrate against guns. I don't believe it, not for an instant. We'll talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Yeah, your kids are being indoctrinated in the elementary school now. And you know what? You pay for it. The Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer. All right, so, Robert, we're down now to eight minutes Colleges, of course, have been known to uh, mold young minds into taking up a variety of left-wing causes, and uh, but less attention. And I hope people have been paying attention to this this gun debate, uh, more so gun uh, screaming, not debate. Uh, less attention is paid to how high schools now, middle schools, and even elementary schools promote the same worldview to their students, a possibly more harmful development considering the greater malleability of uh, teenagers. And parents aren't doing anything that I'm seeing to stop this. Well, and to some extent, uh, they're not aware of it, right? This is what's going on in the high schools, in the junior high schools, et cetera, where the Parents are not particularly aware of some of the indoctrination that's taking place. And the classic example, or the the recent example, I should say, that we just talked about, where this kid in Ohio doesn't want to participate in the anti-gun march, and he's being punished for it. Now, that came out, so that's publicized. But for every time you see that type of event, how many are we not seeing? And that's the problem. We see all the time. Students being told, oh, there's this wrongdoing going on in the world, and it's more about indoctrination than it is about teaching students to think. Look, I recognize that it's hard to entirely divorce one's personal viewpoint from whenever you're having any form of expression. And if there are more liberals in academia, and there are, that's an issue. But the irony, and we've talked about this before, is that the left doesn't want diversity of thought across academia. If they understand, as they do, that 
there is an element of learning uh, substance and learning viewpoint in the teaching process. Why are not leftists in academia desiring to have conservatives there as well so there can be a diversity of a true diversity of thought? And the answer is they're not interested in diversity of thought. They're interested in diversity of appearance, diverse, diversity of size, diversity of gender, diversity of sex, diversity of race, not diversity of thought. I've got no problem with the diversity of all the former categories as long as you have diversity of thought. Because I will say this, that's perhaps the most important diversity in academia today because the others are largely achieved and diversity of thought at the professorial level, as compared to the students, that is, is not significant. There is a far shift to the left amongst uh, academics, amongst, amongst professors across this country. And we should see about having more a diversity of thought so that students can learn all the viewpoints out there, not only a subset. Yeah, let me give you some examples of what you're saying. Uh, because only left-wing activism was uh, the side that faced no punishment by the administrators or by fellow students. A student waving a Trump flag during a walkout in Minnesota was beaten up by his classmates. A, a student with a pro-gun sign at another Minnesota school was singled out by his principal and barred from the protest. Oh and then God. the Ohio student who refused to join the walkout was suspended. So the bottom oh line gosh. is this wasn't a day to stand by your beliefs because the only views that were going to be encouraged were those that aligned with the progressive orthodoxy. Right. It's not stand by your beliefs. It's stand by their beliefs. And I'm not interested in joining the leftist clone army uh, in support of their agenda. It's that simple. Yeah. Dissent was not tolerated. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. It's, and it's sad. And, and that's why, you know, you know this, I know this, and a lot of people who listen to this show knows this. That's why a law reinstating that the First Amendment will be upheld in every form of schooling in Arkansas needs to be passed. I agree 100% with you. And I'll tell you this. I bet you already a majority in the state legislature agrees with you without us even campaigning for that bill, Dave, because they, too, understand what's going on across America in terms of this big shift to the left in academia and the unwillingness to allow true debate to go on such that hate speech means any speech that the leftists hate. Yeah. I mean, that that's where it's going to, and they won't call it hate speech for much longer. They're going to call it. You are not, you know, following collegiality. Oh, they've already said use that. Of course, the, the the professor Amy Wax at the University of Pennsylvania, who's made statements uh, about uh, society, about culture, and about affirmative action, is being attacked 
uh, no pun intended, left and right. She's being attacked, and one of the attacks against her is a form of a collegiality attack. And this is the problem, that they will use this this insidious tool to get to the content of speech that they dislike. Okay, but mark my words, and on this I'm going to let it go, Robert, is that they will stop using hate speech, and they will come up with a more softer, easier term for people to swallow. I think you're right. I think, Dave, you've been right so far. So if I'm going to put my money down anywhere, it's on Dave Ellswick. All right. Rob, thanks so much for being with me. It's uh, Robert Steinbach, of course, professor of law at UALR. His, you know, his opinions are his and his alone. That doesn't necessarily reflect those at a college, but he reflects mine for the most part, 99.7% of the time. My man, have a good week. God bless, my friend. Take we'll care. We'll talk to you later. All right, Robert Steinbach here on Dave Ellswick Show. Power panel is in tomorrow.